This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This week at Macy's, get great deals on fashion and home essentials. Update your wardrobe with 20% off new spring shoes and sneakers. And 20 to 50% off fresh looks for him and her. Plus, transform your space with Lux Hotel Collection bedding, now 40% off. And Macy's Star Rewards members can earn on every purchase except gift cards, services, and fees. More at Macy's.com slash Star Rewards. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. Welcome, everybody, back to the Domcast episode 16. After a week off, we are here after uh, this very interesting, probably once-in-a-lifetime all-star experience or experiment. I should say, we're back here with the storyteller. Say what's up to the people. According according to him, he's been sitting here for... Uh, because you said you're always just sitting here waiting for waiting for us to come back, basically and visit. So we you know, two weeks this time. He was he was wondering if people were still going to be interested. I, I speak for the audience. I think they will be, um, especially today because we got we got multiple interesting topics to talk about. Uh, but to, to not waste any time, I think we're going to go ahead while it's fresh on our minds because I think some of it will be kind of forgettable. We're going to start off with All Star. Well, Sunday, I guess, because it wasn't really a weekend. We just had. I didn't. I didn't look at all at the uh, whatever happened with the celebrities. Did they have a celebrity event? Even this time, I saw a couple of things on Twitter. Were you keeping up with that at all? I saw some of the two-on-two stuff from from Saturday. <laughs> that was pretty bleak. <laughs> right, it's right. The only stuff going on. I'll take it. But right, you know, I'm interested in forgetting about it. Yeah, I, I've only seen like the the one highlight of I believe it was Lil Baby hitting nothing but backboard on the free throw. I'm just like, that's crazy because I don't even imagine people who are on NBA Twitter troll accounts. I don't even imagine that they're that terrible. Like, it's just hard. I don't know. Maybe it comes to somebody who's played basketball like our whole lives, just recreationally or whatever level you played at. But it's like, how are you that terrible? I don't know. Um, that's besides the point. Uh, do you do you hate the celebrity all star game, by the way, as much as I do? I never even mentioned that. But do you or do you like it? I don't know. Maybe you have a different perspective on it the normal one that we do with kevin hart and all those things yeah right yeah <laughs> uh yes i do <laughs> i hate i hate the i really i genuinely hate the people when they're participating in it and i whenever i see somebody that i was a fan of participating in it i just feel like they're i don't know yacht racing in front of me horribly <laughs> And it's the TV people are making me watch it, right? Like, I don't, you're clearly, you are connected and you're rich. So you get to put on a, a jersey and ball on a court before all, an all-star game. And we're supposed to care about it, like horribly too. Like, like yeah. I mean, some of them can play basketball, but you know, like, I don't know, just go down to the, just go down the court. Like, go to your playground down the street, Justin Timberlake. Like, <laughs> I don't care if you step back. Uh, guy from Monkey and Sons, like whatever. Right, right. 
I, uh, yeah, the only time, I mean, I'll, I'll admit, I, I did actually like the couple of times, relatively, compared to all the other celebrity games we've ever had, I, the ones that Kevin Hart was a part of, I found those tolerable. The rest of them, I can't tell you, I can't tell it apart when you're for the, uh, one year from another. Uh, we didn't see it this year, we had the competition that you, that you mentioned that you might have seen, may or may not have seen, uh, but I'm glad that's gone. Like, that's, one positive thing came from this weekend, we didn't have to waste time with an all-star uh, celebrity game now it'll you be it'll, be, it'll back. be back they'll be back it's i hope not you it. know you know this this weekend <laughs> this weekend is a great time where we can just get rid of some things because they experimented and they did some things that were good and some things that were not so good but the things that worked you can just keep those like last year we kept the kobe bryant tradition all-star game i, I like that it didn't really work out that well tonight but i like it better um, but there's some things you can just you can just uh, we can adapt we can evolve we've society has evolved past the need for a celebrity all-star game however i saw your twitter feed tonight it looked like you were having fun um among some of the things that you put on there when that caught my mind or <laughs> my attention which we'll get to <laughs> we'll, we'll get to this um because I, I wrote this down last minute it says more of albert is what happens when you tie the underwear around your neck tighter than recommended so i <laughs> I assume you have some more of Albert thought, more of Albert thoughts, like the rest of Twitter, um, that we'll get to. But before we get to more of Albert, uh, what are your observations on our Sunday night All Star experiment where we put everything into one? We had the skills challenge. Oh, that's the other thing you said. Yeah, that, I knew there was more. There are other things, but you also said that um, if you ever win a Taco Bell skills challenge, then that needs to be the opening line in your obituary. Seriously, it says everything about you. You're clearly a selfless person. So we, I guess, you know, we can mix those in or we can get it, you know, whatever. Uh, but your observations about this and the dunk contest and we can just kind of go from there. What do you got? So, everyone, these aren't, none of this is jokes. Right? You know, <laughs> some people just make jokes, right? But there's always, and, I, and you know, see, we have a, we have a little bit of history now, right? You know, we've talked a lot. Um, there's sincerity behind everything that I put online, right? And Tom knows that there is there's sincerity in in the Taco Bell skill challenge. Yeah. It was a long time ago. Tom was on a little show that I did. Yeah. And we talked about what it says about a person, basically, if they had won that versus winning the dunk contest or something like that. It's just such low stakes. And it's such a it, it's a joke to some degree for people to go into it and go all out and actually care about it for that moment um, and try to try to give it some sort of legitimacy and meaning for somebody who's a professional athlete, obviously one of only a few hundred people who put their time into the Taco Bell skill challenge. Um, I think it just says, you know, it's like the people who don't want to enter the dunk contest um, and players who just avoid all these, these opportunities to lose on a bigger stage the taco bell skill ch skills challenge means nothing it doesn't add to anything in your life nobody cares but people show up and they try hard so when you see somebody actually trying and they win and they hold that thing up and they put it in their house it kind of just means that they understand the bigger picture i think because nobody's like damn i have to win this like this is it this is gonna make my career so when they do, it, it means something beyond just the selfishness of I need to be the winner and I need to dominate on all these traditional um, measurements. So 
That's what I think. I think over time we can give it some legitimacy. I feel like with the weight of Dom here, he could really we accept it maybe between now and next year. It could be maybe it could be the Dom cast skills challenge. Well, we gotta keep Taco Bell in there. I like the vision. <laughs> I, I like the vision there. But it's just so meaningless and kind of silly that for professional athletes to care about it and win um, and put their time into it. And I don't know if anybody actually did this. Was there anybody, because I didn't actually see it, was there anybody who showed up just to participate in the skills challenge? Oh my gosh, okay, yeah, I could tell by the way you, uh, that you didn't mention this guy after you said something at the beginning, that I was like, okay, maybe he actually didn't, yeah, no, Sabonis was really into it, man, like, Sabonis was, Sabonis, okay, I'm so glad, I, I'm, I'm so glad to be the one to tell you this, because it goes perfectly with what you just said, Sabonis showed up to shoot around that little top of the key shot he showed up to shoot before the skills challenge and he was lights out like i think he made the first three rounds in a row like he didn't miss until the finals like no he really went in he uh i don't uh, off the top of my head i don't know if he missed a pass you know that first pass that you make uh, you throw in there that chest pass yeah. i don't know if he missed one and uh yeah i heard the commentator say it. they were like he was out here before the game or before the challenge at right at the top of the key of the three-pointer and just shooting and he he eliminated everybody in one shot up until i believe it was him and vooch at the end and vooch his three-pointer actually might have uh helped sabonis's go in i don't remember if it was vooch or not but one of them one of the contestants they shot at the exact same time and like sabonis's ball was about to come out and i i believe it was vooch his ball kept it in because they shot at the same time so it was kind of a cell phone but yeah man sabonis i, I by your description I have no reason not to believe that Sabonis is a great person. Like he's got to be a great person because he showed up for this thing, man. He did, and uh, weird. Yeah, no, this this was uh, he dedicated a piece of himself to this, and I've never heard that. Everyone else was just kind of out there, like Chris Paul is competitive as he is. You know, he was all happy, go go smiley, and he lost. Right. But yeah, no, Sabonis was into it, and then so you didn't see the Sabonis interview afterwards either, did you? Please tell me what happened. No, uh, there was a gap where I just didn't, I couldn't see it. I uh, yeah. Nothing, nothing super special. I mean, it might have been a tidbit that ends up in one of your videos like years later, but it was just kind of a, <laughs> it was just kind of an awkward interview. Like he seemed a little bit. I, I, I know English in his, I don't know if it's his first language or not, but you know, he seemed kind of like he had stage fright. And of course, the I think it was Ali LaForce asking him the questions. The questions never mean anything. I'm sure you have like a whole thing about interviewer interviewer questions and the pointlessness. Because she ended up asking him, like the, uh, the interview was just going on very awkwardly. And it was kind of like short answers. She was asking these very long questions and he was just giving short answers like, get me off of this mic. Like, he's the center of attention. He just wants to leave. And she asked, who's the trophy for? Like, if you, that, that question also kind of knocked me off too. Kind of. I didn't really know what she meant by it. like who's the trophy for like he's gonna give it to somebody. Dad I get related to Dad's grave. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Arvidas is still Arvidas is still with us, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, he was like, um, uh, yeah, yeah. It was a very off the wall question. I was like, who's it for? I guess she was trying to get him to say like, oh, you know, it's for my family and everyone who supported me. I guess that's what she was trying to get right. out of him, but it was just very awkward. Um but yeah, the Sabonis supposed to say like all the all the victims of COVID. Like what are you supposed to say? I don't know. It was so weird. Yo, interviewer questions are the weirdest. Please tell me because we can get to this in the Marv Albert section later. Did you at least hear Marv Albert and that and that whole my bad. It was more it was all three of them. Their interview was on Williamson. That was incredibly awkward. Did you have your audio on for that? When he was on the bench and they were kind of talking yes, I, saw, I saw some of that 
Okay, yeah, because that one that one was equally as awkward. There were a couple of awkward interviews in this one. I know I came on your show like a month and a half ago and said I, I can never tell you anything about the skills challenge, but I think the the Demontis Sabonis Taco Bell skills challenge. I I think I'm gonna remember this one. I think it did enough to make an imprint here. So the award is gaining some steam. I would say maybe we can't have it as the Domcast skills challenge next year. Yeah, you just you gave it this the Dom stamp of approval. <laughs> yeah, um, thanks. You, you mentioned Ali LaForce, La right? LaForce, right? Yeah, yeah. Forge or LaForce? LaForce, LaForce. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a great name. It's fire. Yeah. Um, she did something that was so subtle, and maybe it's just because I'm sensitive to anybody like attacking Steph Curry. Oh, he, I know, gosh, I know where this is going. Yep. Yeah. No, please, please. please. What is it? Take a guess. Well, if it's what I saw Iguodala tweeting about the subtle shot she took it, well, it, he perceived it as a shot about his, yeah, is that it? Is it the, please, finish, tell me what it is. Did she, did she, did she ask him, how does it feel to win, like, your second out of seven tries? Was that the, was that the out comment? Seven, yes. I didn't hear it, so I, I, I read about it on Twitter when Iguodala tweeted about it. I hadn't actually, yeah, I didn't actually hear it myself. I was taking notes during the part that I watched. <laughs> Because I wanted to remember some of this little stuff, this discussion. And she, when she said, "How does it feel?" To, or something like, "To have your second win out of seven. It's like, what? Like, yeah. who frames a? Who frames it like that? This isn't a championship, right? Why, hey. why is this a new com- a new debate point that you're introducing? Nobody was thinking about two out of seven the three-point contest but now she's she's delivered it she's handed it over and now it'll be mentioned yeah because before before i saw iggy tweet about it before she said it i didn't know how many three-point contests steph had been in as a matter of fact i only remembered the other one where joe harris beat him that was the only one i remember. so he's really been in seven he's been in seven three-point contests four. yeah four, i I, maybe. I didn't have a clue but continue yeah that there was no point for that i i agree <laughs> no it it immediately stood out and I, I thought, it's like, it just felt like an improper framing of the three-point contest, which is such, there's so many circumstances. The three-point contest, it, it, it's not it's not like a lot of other things. I mean, you're still dealing with people that at best are shooting 40-something percent. You know, I know there's nobody defending you, but, you know, you got the clock and usually you have people screaming. So there's still other elements that are, that are involved. You're not just in an open gym as opposed to actually kind of are today. But even the best shooter, you're still dealing with less than 50% odds, usually. And you're not, even if you're the best shooter, you're not automatically going to win this thing. Because all it takes is for one guy to get hot for cut two rounds. Exactly. So two out of seven was such a, it just felt like such a, like a little, little, <laughs> little shot. Right yeah. And, st- and Steph is too, about, uh... And Steph is too nice to point something like that out, or maybe he just doesn't even care because he's ascended like past human levels at this point. So maybe it didn't even phase him. Maybe just like brushed the right, right off. Um, but I was thinking the same thing though. Coming into the three point contest, I was watching it with my family and my brother. And my little brother's like he doesn't really watch basketball that much. He just kind of he's around me, so he has you know, little bits of knowledge. But he's like, oh yeah, Steph Curry is not allowed to lo- lose this contest. He can't lose this contest because <laughs> he knows Steph Curry is the greatest shooter of all time, of course. Uh, but I was telling him. I was like, oh, no, he lost to uh, Joe Harris, whatever year that was. I'm like, Joe Harris just looks like he probably went home and read a book after he after he did that. It's nothing really that special about him. This isn't that type of contest where it's like you have Curry and KD and it's going to be like it is on the court. This, this thing could go uh, this thing could go south. But I, I bring that up to ask, like, was there anything 
Because I don't think about the three-point contest that much. I Growing up, it's always really like a dunk contest for me, maybe some all-star game moments. I really don't remember three-point contests. It's like a... St- it's definitely more important than the skills challenge. But in terms of like me not remembering things about it, the three-point contest is probably a step above. However, was there anything special to you about Steph tonight in the all-star game and the way he did this three-point contest? Because to me... There's this underlying story here where Mike Conley comes in, and this is his first all-star event, like the kid in the candy shop, just bright-eyed. I saw that he liked the tweet about how he was going to be sleeping before the all-star event. Like, he's just happy to be here. And he comes in, and for a second, looks like he is going to, on a one-on-one beat, the GOAT shooter. And then Steph, and and it looked that way because not only was Mike Conley, like, really on fire tonight, Curry goes in and misses, like, the first four, I believe, at that rack. And then, almost deliberately, it looked like beat him by one point. And this is, Con- I thought it was Conley's moment. I thought this is finally where we shower Conley with all the praise over the years of not being an all-star and all the years with the Grizzlies that he deserved it. And this is his moment. And Steph just came and effortlessly took it. I don't know. It yeah. seems special to me, but maybe I'm reading into it. I, and you, I know I saw you tweet about Steph Curry tonight, just making basketball fun. So if you have things on Steph Curry tonight, if you had thoughts, I'd definitely be interested. It's just amazing because I feel like I don't fully understand. I, I, I think we talked about this at some point before. Um, the idea that because Steph Curry's not a giant person, he can't just bully his way in and get a couple easy bucket buckets, you know, just to get going or whatever it is. He can't just go in and just get fouled under the basket um, real easy. Uh, it's hard. It's it's easy to forget why he's so dominant why he's so great and I was watching the game actually with the Warriors he basically it's really interesting if you just watch him I know a lot of people do every play just watch him and watch anybody else he's he may not have the ball in his hand and a lot of people criticize him they don't call him a, they don't want to be called a uh, point guard because Draymond Green handles the ball more often or averages more assists but he's directing everybody yeah he's literally just playing Hey, you go here, you go here, you go here. He's, po- he's pointing who to pass to. It's pretty amazing if you just watch him. He's just directing everybody. Off ball, you know? I mean, you see, like, some great point guards. You'll see Chris Paul. He's dribbling up the court, and you'll point to somebody or say, go that way or this. But he's doing all this without the ball in his hand. And he was doing that in the All-Star game. Yeah. <laughs> he was running the court, and he was, you know, he was moving. He wasn't moving as much as he usually does. He was pointing to telling people, go here pass here go that way and i forgot who it was but it was uh i think it was uh dame yeah like he was like pointing to dame get to the corner get over there and then he, he cleared out and just opened the whole court up for dame to do something and I was, he's really like he's an unconscious leader just blatantly a leader um and it's hard to if you're not just driving and dunking on somebody it's hard to see um, to, to just from scratch recognize why he's so dominant so tonight watching him do that and just the comfort he has and I feel like he was more comfortable he's been in a lot of all-star games he's one of those players yeah. until now that just kind of shows up maybe hits a couple shots doesn't demand the ball and doesn't have that blanket um, uh, selfishness like a Russell Westbrook would or even um LeBron James at some point. Tonight, LeBron James realized he wasn't going to get the MVP really early and decided that he shouldn't play anymore. That's what I believe happened. 
um, just says, I'm not gonna, listen, I'm just gonna make it look like I don't wanna play, let the guys play after he kind of blew it the first quarter. So with Steph Curry, it just looked like he finally arrived at this all-star moment as if he knew he's the best player or he could be the best player. And of course his shot was falling and everything like that. But um, watching him do that, I, I really appreciated what he was doing. And um, the, it's when you are a three-point shooter, sometimes you're not gonna make shots. And if you're missing a few shots in the beginning of the All-Star game, you lost your opportunity. Or if you're missing your shots in three-point contests, um, you're not gonna win. It's tough when you're banking your whole success on such a long shot. When it goes in, the man just transcends everything. It's ridiculous. And it feels almost like it, because other people hit three-pointers, other people are hitting shots, but there's just something different about when his shots go in that just brings joy and excitement, and people start, uh, it's like giddiness. And you see it around, you see it with the other players, it just elevates the game, and it becomes a Steph Curry game. So it, once it becomes a Steph Curry game, that's it. Like, he just puts his stamp on it. And um, I don't know if there's really any other player that kind of does that. It's just amazing. It's amazing. I don't know why it is, and I think it's because every game he has to reintroduce himself about why he's dominant. Because every time he pulls up from 30-plus feet and, we're, and he hits a shot, it's just amazing. I don't care how many times he does it. He can do it 12 times before the game. He can do it 15 times in a row in a practice. But when he does it and we see it all on national TV, it just sparks our um, excitement more than almost any other thing. And um, that's just special. And it it's special because it comes in that package, that small package. And then he dunked. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I bet you, you talked to him. I bet that was the highlight of his night. Yeah. Uh, his night. I bet Clay Thompson was juiced about that. Like, there's such such dunk envy with, with <laughs> All he wants to dunk. I've said this before. If he could if he could train five percent of his three point accuracy for like three poster dunks a year, he would do it. <laughs> think so. Think is that you think it ranks absolutely. that high. Yeah. The whole video about the fact he can't dunk. <clears throat> yeah. Once dunks like on people so bad. <laughs> sort of, I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. I don't know why he doesn't try. He doesn't. I mean, I know why he doesn't try because he's not good at it. But it's that weird combination um, that just is a reintroduction of greatness every time we see him do it. We're like, well, this guy did something amazing last time. There's no way he can do it again. And he does it again. Right. And he's notorious also for just the. One random day, he's just one for ten. Absolutely, you know, that's kind of his thing. Or it's becoming quite annoying because he'll do this. And this is really his thing. He'll go like five for six or six for seven in the first half, and then one for eight in the second half. And then he ends with a great, you know, shooting over forty percent. But it's just so streaky, and it's just an odd. It's just an odd situation. I don't yeah, I really see much players quite like that. Um, but he really brings joy and fun into it, and everybody around him. Um, it's amazing. All right, yeah. That was a long answer. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, those. The, me and my friend talked about that once upon a podcast a long time ago about how Curry. Yeah, we we know he's the greatest shooter, and we watch these games that he takes over. And then you'll look at the the box one night, and he'll have a night like you just talked about, where it's just really random, like two for ten of something. But you never question it because you know that just speaks to his greatness. You never question if he has a night 
doesn't matter. You forget about it a week later, or he does something that makes you forget about it. Uh, back to the topics uh, of him dunking. Did all three tiny players get a dunk tonight? Did, I know Chris Paul got one. Seth got one. Did Kyrie have one? Or am I having a false memory? I cannot. I don't know if he had one tonight. I don't think he did. Yeah, I don't. You know, yeah, I think he did. I'll go back and watch the highlights, whatever. I'm pretty sure he did. Um, but I just found that funny. First of all, yeah, I think that might be the first Steph Alley I've seen. I, he might have had another Alley Oop in another All Star game before, but they're really yeah, rare. He's throwing, no? Paul, uh, uh, Chris Paul had one a couple years back. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, so Steph. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, small players are, are, are never going to pass up the opportunity maybe you're right about the them trading in a little bit of just a little bit of efficiency to be able to dunk because small players are not going to pass up the opportunity to show you that they can because we forget that especially when you play with them in video games and you're on a wide open fast break and you try as hard as you can to dunk but they just lay it up that's i think subconsciously that does something to you we're like oh i forgot these guys are all they're all like six feet and they can easily dunk on a regular day and the reason this is funny this is being brought up is because i was just making a video about the uh the 2000s finals teams and finals mvps and i come across uh, a video of chauncey billups on a fast break in the finals and he dunks and i'm like holy shit Chauncey Billups dunked once upon a time because my whole life you see Chauncey Billups shooting laying it up very unathletic things and I'm like yeah you, you forget maybe what was Billups six feet six two I don't know but dunking is really really easy for him it's, it, yeah it's it's not like me it's not like me under six feet and I have to you know extend everything in, in my being to be able to get up there um but yeah I, I found that one let's say what can you have you dunked I've gotten very, very close, and it's on camera. Like, I've got one of those... I might have posted it on Twitter one time. Maybe I haven't. So, 10-odd years ago? Yeah, it's around 2011 or whatever. I get up there, and I get the ball over the rim, and I grab the rim. The ball comes loose from my hand, and the ball pops around, pops around in the rim, the backboard, and it goes in. So, I have, like... I have like 30% of a dunk, or whatever that counts for. Yeah, it's one of those. And that's as close as I've been, because I... I've always been more of a of a weightlifter and whatnot, so I, I I can I can I can lift your weight, I can deadlift and I can I can squat for you and all that, but actually, you know, getting up there and you know doing an Anthony Simons grabbing the basketball from the top of the square, I, I don't think that's gonna happen. Honestly, I'm not winning any dunk contests. Um, <clears throat> but uh, back on the topic of Steph Curry, no, uh, this being a special night. First of all, like you said, yeah, you said something about him being very comfortable. I don't know if he's ever turned around in an all-star game while he shot a three. And that's a really interesting thing. That's always an interesting thing to me because the level of trust that you have to have in everything in that moment to be able to do that. Like I always thought about Gilbert Arenas turning around when he used to hit game winners. And it's like you are going to turn into a perennial joke. Maybe not your whole career, but that moment, you will never live that moment down. Like Nick Young. Hell, it wasn't even a game winner. Nick Young, the one turnaround miss that he had it's a gif now it's a gif it's a meme it's going to be on there forever but it's nick young so we kind of give that a pass that's part of his persona but if you're like a gilbert arenas or you're a steph and you have this as part of your brand you cannot turn around at an important moment and miss and so as far as i know gilbert never did maybe i missed it but i don't think gilbert ever did miss when he did that and steph did that tonight and he was so sure it was good it was from the same corner that he won the three-point contest on and he turned around very confident it didn't touch anything and so that was a special moment and i noticed particularly during the three-point contest 
again, not only <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to do a deep dive one day and see if he deliberately missed those four just to give Conley a little bit of hope before crushing it because Steph might smile and might be like God child and everything, but he still has an ego. Every player that's good has an ego. And so I don't know about this one, um, but there was moments where he goes out to the Sprite three point balls, the ones that are at the hash mark and every right. other player had to get like set for that. And you could tell that there was a little something different in mechanic getting that up. And but you go out there and Steph almost seemed a little bit more comfortable at those threes than he did on the rest of them. He just grabs it. He's like, it just on to the next one. And so, yeah, it was uh, it, there was just a lot of that's why I tweeted that out tonight. I was like, you could be. You could have been born at any moment in human history, but you were born at this little small slice of time with Steph and in this sport where nobody's ever shot like this. And then him and Dame did a little half court. They had a little half court moment where they took turns back to back shooting from half fucking court. That's ridiculous. It was half court, not the T on the All-Stars, not the S on the All-Stars, not the hash mark. It walked up from half, which really makes me question what a, what exactly is the limits of their range because obviously within games they're you know they're not going to do that no one we're not at that point that moment yet where guys can calmly pull up from the half line i don't know how many years we are away from that i assume we're getting there but nobody's stepping up at the half line yet they're still logo shots but i really wonder like where exactly is their limit because they look like they could pull a little bit further i don't know well i feel like they figured out where the strength has to come from in order to get those shots up which must is fairly new i mean fairly new meaning you know obviously their development but so you're you're like you're nailing is on the head so many different ways um caveat the logo have we talked about the logo shooting from the logo concept no that's a new one okay all right i'll try to introduce it we recorded this pretty late if people don't know that but I'll try to get this out. Um, <clears throat> as a NBA, NBA announcer, right? Play-by-play guy. There's, I don't know, six or seven golden, you know, plays where all you have to do is say it, say the name of it, and it generates excitement. You know, whether it's somebody who gets dunked on, you know, like an actual, actually getting dunked on, Somebody crossed over, you know, somebody falling down or something like that. Game winners, buzzer beaters. Um, but from the logo, just that quote, from the logo uh, is something that is extremely per- pervasive and it's, um, it's it's everywhere, right? Uh, it's slightly manufactured because the logos are so huge now, Right? So you weren't able to say from the logo, I don't know, 20 years ago, because the logo was right around that little center circle. You know, these logos extend <laughs> so far now. True. And even if you're just on the edge of that paint, you know, whatever it is, the nugget into the nuggets, you know, the S, whatever it is, even if it's, there's no reason for a logo to be that big. The announcer <laughs> still gets to invoke the term from the logo yeah absolutely. and just the term from the logo triggers something in us to be like that's amazing you know that's amazing it's kind of like when these um <clears throat> uh players get crossed over and they fall down but it's really because the guy kind of pushed them 
you know, they do that move where they stop and they kind of push off and the person flies up, flies away, or falls down. Um, and it's kind of artificial, but they still get the credit for, for making them fall down, right? And everybody's in on it. The announcers, the way they frame it. And from the logo, I feel is, it's not, cons- I'm not being conspiratorial here, but it's another way to juice the game, right? Mm. To be okay. able to say LeBron from the logo, even though it's the <laughs> biggest logo that's ever existed, it extends to 28, you know, like five feet, three or four feet away from the three-point line. They still get to say it, and it's like that Pavlovian dog thing, like the bell, <laughs> you know. It automatically makes us think this was an amazing thing. So, I saw a lot of that in the bubble, because the bubble logo was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It's a weird thing, you know. The whole, half court is, a, is has been preserved though, because you can't extend the half court line. So when these guys are pulling up from half court, that's pure. From the logo has been diluted quite a <laughs> bit, and I feel like we need to come to terms with this and maybe have some sort of like uh, reckoning reckoning with the logos. So there's that. But half court pulling it from half court like these guys did, I thought was really they were really doubling down on their ability and they're like no we're not just logo we're not just shooting from this large ass logo that goes all the way to the free throw line we are shooting from half court which will always be half court and it's pure so when you hear from half court mm-hmm. that's something that I feel like we can really get excited about and that i was so happy when dame made the shot because he looked kind of stupid when he shot the first one he looked mm-hmm. he missed the first one and that's like oh because clearly he was trying to, you know, get in on it. Steph had hit some crazy shots, and he wanted to put yeah. it in half court. He missed. Then what happened? Did Steph hit the first one, and then Dame came back and hit, hit, hit one after that? Dame did it. Dame did it first. So he took the first one, and I think Steph came right after him and and pulled. And then on the replay, they only showed Steph. So I took note of that. They did not show Damian Lillard. Oh yeah, yeah. Because Marv Albert was just. <laughs> he, he was just he was just out of his mind at that point. <laughs> he doesn't recognize him. Right, right. Short guy, another. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, no, I think there's absolutely there's absolutely power in what Damon Steph did with that half court shot because nobody can can come in and be the imposter. Like you said, with the with the logos being as long as they are. Nobody, you, you can be an imposter with those. You can. I hadn't really thought about it much because a far shot seems like a far shot. And it's going to be on the highlights forever. And we're all going to say, damn, that's far. And it is still pretty far. But I I would feel comfortable in saying that those two guys are probably the only ones that could consistently step from the half court line and hit nothing but net. Because LeBron's got all this power and he's he can, he can take logo shots sometimes. But I think Steph and Dame own the half court shot though i don't see anybody effortlessly anybody else and you're that's powerful you're on a court full of what is that 10 other 20 other all-stars and superstar players you absolutely well you're the only two that you you can say we're the only two here that can do that yeah i don't know i i I like that i i like that a lot because i and the fact that they did it back back to back it was a power show man it's a power show these egos always beautiful i mean it's unfortunate (laughs) they blew that the announcers blew it and they didn't frame it properly I mean, this yeah. is something that, that I'd love, maybe, maybe you can help me with this at some point, but I'm trying to work on, I, I need to talk to some announcers, I need to talk to some legitimate play-by-play people, so I can, I just want to dive into what they do, because 
when you're handed these moments, these great, all-time great moments, and this is an all-time great all-star moment, you know, those back-to-back half-court shots, and even you know, back-to-back little guy dunks, alley it's like, if you aren't framing it perfectly as an announcer, to be chopped up and put into montage after montage the next 50 years with the perfect little, you know, um, uh, um, soundbite describing it so people can understand just within that within that clip what happened and how amazing it was. You're not doing your job and you're doing a real disservice to basketball. And on top of that, we don't have the incredible crowd noise. We don't have the, the shots of the crowd going nuts. So there's no supporting atmosphere. It's so important that these announcers are contextualizing how amazing things are. And Marv and the crew blew it. They blew it. <laughs> it's unfortunate. We're going to have to get some sort of retcon there with some um, international announcer. We'll have to get their feed and see how great they, they did it or some, I don't know, whoever else is calling it on, I don't know, serious radio or some crap like that where it's like they nailed it. And it's like, that's the clip. That's the sound we're going to attach to this clip forever. Marv did not do it. And it's pretty unfortunate. All right. So after that uh, quick pause, we are definitely going to come back to announcers because I have some questions for you about like Chris Webber, Reggie Miller and Marv Albert. Yeah. Um, the whole crew was here tonight. Um, but in, in the interest of being a little bit linear here, let's go to the dunk contest because that was an interesting thing. Um, they had to shove it into halftime of the game this year. There were three contestants when there are normally, I don't have the number in my head, but I feel like the dunk contest absolutely needs that room for error that we normally have. We normally have whatever dunk contest that was where we had a Giannis and then we had, uh, for whatever reason, I think we had a Plumlee brother there. We had Drummond, you know, you need a, <laughs> yeah. you need a room for error, I think, because at this point. It's just so difficult to do things that are going to impress people. And they uh, they made an effort, I think, with the judging after what happened last year. They made an effort to have knowledgeable people judging. I think they were all dunkers or dunk contest winners, whoever they had. They had Dominique Wilkins, Spud Webb. They had people who were, we, we feel like we could trust their judgment. But I don't think at, it's Dominique Wilkins. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that sounds like something we need to get to. Absolutely. He <laughs> said that one with conviction. Um <laughs> So I'll write that down. <laughs> but, uh, um, <laughs> but uh, okay, well, questionable dunk contestant. Yeah, yeah, questionable <laughs> dunk contestant judgment aside, it's difficult because when you have, like, Stanley comes out with a dunk that is clearly fire, and people felt like it was underrated. And I don't think, first of all, I don't think there was any way that anybody could come to a consensus on the dunk contest rating. I think everybody would be unhappy whether it was rated high or was rated too low, whatever. But yeah, the Stanley dunk was awesome, but it also just feels like a variation of something we've seen a million times. The under the legs has been done almost every which way. It was to the point where I don't know, I don't know who, uh, I don't know who would agree or disagree. It seemed like the timeline thought that Stanley's first dunk was better than Toppin's. I liked Toppin's better. I did because I felt like it was at least a creative spin under the under the legs that you don't see every single time. Everyone opens with some sort of a windmill or an under the legs. There's Toppin, who's a big man, comes out, 
and dribbles the ball under his legs and then catches it and then dunks it. And he did it in a way that when it first happened, it didn't even look amazing to me. It wasn't even amazing until I went into the replay and I saw, oh, he actually did go under the legs. I couldn't really see that in real time. So either way, after I, I thought we were in for something then because I thought both of them had done something pretty cool. Uh, I think it lost steam very quickly after that because both of those were one attempt dunks. Of course, the attempts came in. Uh, there's the fact that a lot of people don't know these guys unless you actually follow basketball then you do But I feel like that's been taking flair out of the dunk contest for a long time is the contestants not being actual all-stars I feel like that's kind of important, but somewhere along the 2010s. We lost that element and now it's relegated I don't know. It feels like this is almost like the natural death of the dunk contest because every now and then we have these people that we believe are saviors come in. Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon were saviors the last couple of years of how many every times they did it. Those were 2016 is still one of the best ones ever. Uh, I believe Aaron Gordon was in it last year. I can't 100% remember, but they seemed like saviors. We're like, oh, the dunk contest is saved. They're going to be here forever. Newsflash, they're not. They're going to come in for a year or two, and then they're going to leave us with the Anthony Simons of the world, and they'll be toppings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're not. Yeah, they're the dunk contest is not salvageable. And so now it's relegated to this halftime show, which I don't know if they're going to run with in the next years or so, whatever. But I've always been a proponent of, I, I get it, it's tradition, and we have all these moments, and Vince Carter and Mike Jordan, Michael Jordan, but maybe it has, I don't want to say after we just had Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine, maybe it's run its course, because those were amazing. But when we have dunk contests like these, you start to realize it, it shows a little bit of life every other year or maybe two years in a row it shows a little bit of life and then it dies again and so if this is the where it's going to be relegated to at halftime it's just going to be a couple of people and we're going to get back to whatever's going on in the all-star game or if it's going to be replaced i would have loved to see the dunk contest replaced but obviously guys aren't into playing one-on-one or three-on-three or whatever because of their brand so I'm, i don't have high hopes for it but i don't know the, the dunk contest it it, it Long story short, it sucked tonight. It, it sucked. It, it did. Uh, I wasn't. I didn't have fun with it. But I'd like to know your thoughts on dunk contests in general, this dunk contest, and if you are an advocate of just letting it, you know, re relegating it to halftime until it naturally dies and we replace it with something else, which is also not going to happen. But I don't know. What do you? <laughs> naturally dies until it dies of natural causes right yeah because i feel like it, i feel like we're seeing it the first the all-stars stop participating and then it's a halftime show and then all the next thing you know they're playing one-on-one -on -one. that would be the that'd be the great thing but i don't know i don't i got a, i got a few years on you not a, a ton i'd say we have a lot of common experiences but i got i, I definitely have some more aware years but um not more knowledge, but I'm just saying a little further. Yeah, I got you. You've seen more. Dunk contest is, yeah. is always dying. Oh, okay. Um, do you remember? Uh, do you remember when people used to die of natural causes all the time? Was that a thing when you were younger? Like, uh, uh, oh, you know, great grandma died of natural causes in her sleep in bed at home. Yeah, yeah, like, it's. it's I've was, seen it here and there. Yeah. That's that's not like they died of like heart disease. You know, that's what they died of. <laughs> like, that's what... Like, was... Heart disease is the number one killer. They died because their heart broke. Like, it is not natural causes. Right, right. Yeah, that's the thing that I've thought about. Like, they used to always pawn, like, whenever they wanted to make it seem, oh, man, oh, she died, natural causes. I'm going to be crushed by a piano, like, natural causes. Like, 
natural. Yeah, that, yeah, that was a culprit. Yes, you just yeah, something went wrong. Something happened. Explain it. Like there's a scientific or medical reason. It's not called natural. <laughs> right, right. Anyway, I'm. I don't think feel like you don't hear that as much anymore because we have more information about how these things work. This is not an articulate or an artful way of segueing to the dunk contest. I'm just <laughs> mad that they tried to say people died of natural causes. <laughs> Years they tried to pull that shit off. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Dunk contest, and this is the, the conclusion, this is what I've come to. Um, it needs to suck like three years in a row three four years because then we get something amazing and we all it's like like a, like a drug addict who can't get any because then when something is good we we hold it in such regard and we love it we cherish it we praise it we say how wonderful it is and we just bask in that moment you know of aaron gordon and, and zach levine it's but we can't have that every year because then when it is great, we wouldn't appreciate it. So it's got to suck. I feel like it's built into it. Obviously, that could change if stars were getting into it. Um, and I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how you remedy that. I don't know how they fix that. But Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine weren't stars when they brought the greatest show to us. Right. And I still think that was the best dunk dunk contest ever. The first one, when Aaron Gordon was jumping over the mascot. Um, not the other ones they, they, he participated in. Um, the, uh, Dr. J and the Michael Jordan ones and Dominique Wilkins ones, those all sucked. Really? They sucked. Relevant, and they were good for the time. Anybody holding those up as the as the greatest display of dunks, those were those were horrible. And, un, and, and <laughs> there was such a lack of creativity I mean, it really wasn't good comparatively. So there's no comparison in terms of if you just having no information watched a Michael Jordan 1985 dunk contest versus Dominique Wilkins and anything from the past 20 years. Any of them from the past 20 years is better in terms of skill. Problem is, obviously, it's these brands, these, these individuals. Who is Obi Toppin? I don't know, but you know what? Adam Silver, NBA, it's not a surprise. These people aren't showing up day of, revealing themselves, saying, by the way, I'm in the dunk contest. We know They know who's going to be in it. You got to start delivering their stories early. You got to force the narrative early. I remember um, when Zach Levine showed up for his first one, at least I heard something. There was some package or some little intro thing about how he's meant for this moment, how he's always thought that he was going to be in this moment, and this was what he wanted to do, and he always knew he was going to win the dunk contest. And I didn't know who the F he was, but at that point I was like, man, this guy believes in himself. They're not telling stories. They didn't give us any sort of emotional package about Obi Toppin and his dad before he brought his dad out? Yeah. Are you kidding me? That would have been awesome. Who is a dunker? Yeah. The man's name was like moniker was Dunker's Delight. And we're finding that out seconds before the dunk. And when they brought him out, the announcers didn't even know who the hell that guy was at first. Mm-hmm. This is the problem. It's storytelling. 
they had a story and they didn't tell it to us and we will we will sympathize and we will root for people that we understand and we know and we learn about as a human for all professional athletes they can all be big names they really can be if we it doesn't have to be a great success in the NBA. It doesn't have to be a championship player, but they can tell the story about this person in the few days or few weeks leading up to it. As soon as they get these okays from the nobodies who are going to participate, he brought his dad out there. Are you kidding yeah, me? And we didn't know about that. Kenny Smith did not know about that. They, but then all of a sudden they had like some video of him of his dad, which was odd because I'm like, I like this footage doesn't look that old. When they yeah, <laughs> like that, that's real. Like, man. So, I, these are how many people are in the NBA? About four hundred. Like, yeah, around four hundred, something like that. These are special people who have made it this far. You tell any of their stories the right way, and we will care. But we think, not we, but the NBA thinks that well, their stars aren't coming, so you know, it's it's a wash you know at least we got these three guys let's just throw them out there hopefully they do some good ducks tell some stories and there shouldn't be a single person brought out onto the court for the dunk contest that we don't know who they are we need to know these stories when they when he says when he's going back and he's pointing at somebody and bringing them out marv albert needs to know exactly who he is tell us who his story is what his story is and why he's out there it's the staging i'm not asking for people to bring a choir out it's not about that but if you're going to provide an emotional edge or connection to the audience coordinate coordinate and it was great because he brought out like a, a teammate first what was the guy's name who um julius randall yeah yeah he brought a julius randall out there mm-hmm that was great, you know. You know, Nick's making a making a showing at the All Star Weekend or All Star A. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he like was searching. He was like, and then he brought another guy out. That could have been set up so dramatically. Like, oh my God, it's his dad! Wow, look at that. I mean, they brought when Larry Nance Jr. brought his dad out. They put a little bit more effort into it, and there was a little bit more anticipation. Um, and when he brought him out, it was like, okay. There's a connection there. We understand it. We're just stupid little humans. We just want a little bit of humanness and connection and emotion and reason to root for somebody. And they give us nothing and they are dropping the ball. And they're blaming it. And people blame it. because Blame it on them for being nobodies. They're in the NBA. They're not a nobody. They're in the NBA. Right. Tell us their story. Make us care about it. That's a complete failure. And it pisses me off every time when I see somebody walk out on the court and, and the announcer's like, who's that? Or what's going on here? <laughs> okay, so yeah. Because the dunks are always getting better. Also, it's like expectations versus delivery. You know, when a guy dunks, does a dunk, that may not, it may be too quick or it develops too quickly or the, the actual trick was too fast. We just need to hold off for the replay because some there's been countless dunks where the beauty and the the um the difficulty is only revealed in the in the replay yeah absolutely and and we just and we just need people to walk us through that and the crew they had today 
I think they did a, a bigger disservice to it than any of the dunkers. The announcing crew dropped the ball, um, and they just need to go back to go back to school, figure out how to do this. You know, <laughs> Kenny Smith is trying, and I've been wanting to talk to Kenny Smith for two years now. I made a whole forty-minute video about the twenty. 20 dunk contest mm-hmm. 2019 um about all the details here and i've been trying to track down kenny smith maybe who maybe he'll respond to you i'd love to maybe you could get him <laughs> yeah yeah one tweet one tweet storm where we all tag him <laughs> please i, I want to talk to that guy i feel like he has good instincts on how this stuff works um but he's usually fighting against some other people who just are uh like they're naysayers, they're 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 negative people towards the dunk contest. You go into it like that, it's it's hard to uh, hard to to pull out the good stuff or or at least shine it up. You know when they're shitting all over it. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's I, I the dunk contest. We could dunks, man. We could do, go on about dunking for eight days in a row here, nonstop. Mm-hmm. Dunks, but yeah, there was one dunk. And I don't know who it was. Um, who's the guy who got eliminated in the first round? Uh, Stanley went first, I'm pretty sure. He he had one. It was like he mi- he messed up his first attempt, and then he went back and he just mm-hmm. brought it back real far, and it got like loose in his hand. It was it was getting kind of chaotic, and the ball almost fell out of his hand, but he still caught it and dunked it. And I thought it was. I mean, that's one of my favorite aspects of a of like a um. It's a reckless dunk mm-hmm. on the ball. We talked about that. Yeah, yeah. And that dunk looked a lot better in the replay. That's how you can tell of a good dunk. If it looks, the replay should only enhance it. If you're looking at a dunk in a replay and you realize it's not that great, well, it wasn't a great dunk. Oh, please. What do What are your? Do you have any more thoughts on this? Well, I just I do have a question. Did the so go into the replay? Did the replay enhance Simon's dunk for you, where he? pump fake to the kiss on the rim because i think we can all understand why he didn't fly into the rim and kiss it i don't think it's that serious on all-star weekend that you want a new set of teeth but did the replay enhance that one for you <laughs> i think the expectations messed it all up yeah and the announcer started saying well, if he actually kissed the rim then it's the greatest dunk blah 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 it's a great dunk great dunk and then we realized he didn't like it messed it up like he got close he blew it a kiss the rim a kiss like that they could have framed it better we could have celebrated it, but instead we're like, only if he would have yeah. done this horrible, horribly <laughs> dangerous thing. <laughs> Your face going towards his ring. Yeah. But I thought he mixed it up. Because when he came in and dunked it, he, and gosh, it's crazy because I was just writing a, a like a, a little mini script about this, about confidence in the air. Um when he you, you saw when he dunked it, like he Flinched. Yeah, yeah. Flinched. Dunk. Yeah, he, he was, was like, absolutely. You could tell that natural reflex. It happened. What? Really? I mean, he's dunking it. Like he dunked it, and he was like, <laughs> Yeah, no. I was thinking about that the whole time. I was looking at the replay, and I was kind of, I was just dissecting it, and I was like, I can completely understand why he had that reaction because he was going full speed towards it, and right before you get there, you realize. 
that, that little moment where he because he he motioned to kiss it i think i think he was actually trying to kiss it hell i think when he got down there he even thought he kissed it because with that aside from the commentators creating the expectation he kind of did too whatever he did to motion that he that there was a kiss i that, again that ruined the expectation because i was like oh damn like he just pulled that off i was ready to lose my mind then you got up there and you saw that he had the reflex but absolutely you could see that that like, he thought he was about to and then that millisecond he was like oh shit wait a minute lips like he, he, everybody's hit their lips before on something whether they were punched or where they ran into something this shit hurts up here this is a soft area yeah. you can tell that went through his brain really really quickly he was like all right cool i'm out of here but i'm gonna dunk it though and i got high enough his his mouth was at the rim but i think it did kind of take the spunk out of it but i can i can understand the reflex there and i thought the ideas were in the right place for simon's uh trying to kiss the rim the taking the ball from the top of the square and then dunking it i think for whatever the commentators got wrong whatever that crew got wrong tonight one thing they did get right is i think it was kenny smith and he just said oh when you do a dunk like that like you really got to go get it and i understood what he meant because it was kind of just like a look i got really high i took i got i'm six foot three i got it off the square and i dunked it there wasn't really anything else to it when we've seen uh yeah what was that 10 15 years ago we've seen dwight howard which i'm not trying to compare their athletic ability obviously but we've seen dwight howard slap a sticker higher than that before on the backboard so we've kind of seen some version of this so just simply taking the ball from there and then softly dunking it in i don't think that was enough but i thought the idea was in the right place i thought the idea on that dunk was in the right place i thought the idea for topping hell whoever it was that tried to go under both legs i think stanley did try that before he ended up failing i thought I thought the creativity from these guys that we relatively don't know or that the casual fan doesn't know, I thought it was in the right place. Um, by the way, you need to put the that excerpt about storytelling on your, on a job application for the NBA. And this needs to be your side hustle or whatever, telling these player stories because, I mean, yeah, you, you've got it right. Um, when they brought out his dad, first of all, I thought he was bringing out his friend because on that camera angle or whatever, Toppin's dad looked like a friend that he just brought out from the side yeah 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 it just didn't you know and then they were like oh yeah that's his dad and then i did hear i believe kenny go oh wow wait that's uh what was his dunker name dunk something did you catch his name the dad yeah i didn't dunker's delight there we go he's like oh yeah (laughs) yeah he was like dunker's delight oh i know dunker's delight and i was like oh okay so this is somebody yeah i would have i would have liked to have known that before that would have helped and that would have maybe given something to look forward to uh, but yeah, yeah, the, the player stories would help because at this point we are susceptible to the idea that these guys that you really don't see all season or watch all season could bring something great. Like you said, when Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon came out and gave the greatest show, possibly the greatest dunk contest of all time, not really stars, players with potential, sure, not bench warmers, players with potential, but not stars, but they still did that. And so we already have the idea that, okay, I'll try this out, especially as basketball fans. Like you said, we're always coming back to this contest because we're going to come back next year and watch it, even though this one was disappointing. We're going to come back next year and watch it. I watched the one before that. I've seen more disappointing dunk contests. Well, yeah, I absolutely have. Uh, Jeremy Evans with the fucking GoPro camera on his head in 2012. I'm still angry over that. That that strikes a nerve with me. Yeah, you remember that one where he dunked and then twisted his head around yeah i'm still i'm still very angry about that one that's it just i don't know anyway <laughs> um yeah yeah wait hold on yeah yeah absolutely yeah 
<laughs> but yeah, you know, some of the, some of the uh, some of the ideas were in the right place, and we'll see what happens next year. Who participates? Zion would have obviously helped this weekend because we thought he was going to be there, and uh, it was interesting. The whole thing going on. That's a Zion is probably a whole different topic, but this very quick transformation in Zion's career happening from time he was in college that last year uh, he only did one year in college to where he's at now it's really interesting because i feel like if you've been paying attention you kind of realize like you might see something exciting from zion in a game but it already doesn't feel like it did when he was in college and you knew you're gonna you might see something just crazy every time you watch him play and the reason i bring that up as it relates to all-star weekend is uh early on in this game i think he missed like the first three lobs that they through him i don't know if it was nervous or him being timid because he's been injured before but that zion spark that was once there it's just not always there he's and he's doing great this year he's an all-star now he's got you know he's posting crazy stats i think he's just playing smarter though zion is playing smarter these days and not everything is is a highlight dunk um but yeah still i, I think he could have aided the dunk contest uh but you know yeah we'll see we'll see what happens with it going forward um we'll see what happens with the all-star game going forward because i thought last year i don't know i felt like last year they tried a little bit more I think they tried a little bit harder because it was that whole memorial for kobe and it was a whole tribute for kobe and i thought that they had things in place the whole charity and i thought that was going to make the play a little bit harder um but i don't know if it was that tonight or if it was the fact that team lebron somehow took up all the top players i don't know because when i looked at it i was like they you got curry and luca and Giannis on the same team that right there is enough to take like anybody <laughs> then you look on the other side and you see Zach Levine getting mega minutes and I love Jason Tatum but still though it was like players that are just kind of like a tier below so uh but back to something we were talking about a lot earlier just one more tidbit on Curry uh talking you were talking about him being fun and just the how, how legendary this is there was one shot where the uh camera panned on LeBron I'm not, I, I don't know what Curry did but LeBron was kind of in awe and it's like that's kind of when you know something crazy is happening because you have potential goat candidates sitting right here with his arms up i think that's what it was like he had his arms up i think he was just kind of like yeah, has the face we've all had when we watch curry and for a second there lebron was a fan and so that's the type of gravity that curry had in this all-star weekend and uh that's the type of moments he had so i i overall i at least enjoy i i can say that i enjoyed it i can say that the three-point contest was exciting enough um <laughs> maybe i'm the only person who enjoyed the skill challenge since i was on your show and we talked about it and now we've got this you know we're trying to build this up and seeing some bonus actually go out there and practice for it i at least got something out of that um and then the all-star game itself you got some moments i i'm happy with it but who knows if everything is gonna be a weekend if it's gonna take place in one day that's pretty much my my observations and thoughts about it do you think it should be over a weekend or you do are you for the one day one day fits all type thing going forward. This week at Macy's, get great deals on fashion and home essentials. Update your wardrobe with 20% off new spring shoes and sneakers and 20 to 50% off fresh looks for him and her. Plus, transform your space with Lux Hotel Collection bedding now 40% off. And Macy's Star Rewards members can earn on every purchase except gift cards, services, and fees. More at Macy's.com slash star rewards. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. I think 
I'll be fine when it goes back to two days. It will go back to two days. Yeah. yeah it has I mean, to. they're not gonna. They're not gonna like just give away real estate and more advertising dollars. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> That's where it always defaults, right? It's always the yeah. It's always the money. All about the Benjamins. Yeah. 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 Um. Some. I'm so glad you brought up Zion because it is an observation I made recently to myself um there was a and I, gosh it's just it's it's right there it's just right there um way simon simon that's the guy who dunked it but flinched he tried to kiss the rim was that the guy's name Amber? yeah yeah Humphrey simons yeah um when he dunked it and like flinched i was thinking man that is exactly what i was trying to write a script about recently because there's a dunk that um markel markel fultz did a couple years ago where he dunked it one of his few points and he when he dunked he completely got out of the way of his own dunk like he was scared of it and then I had that clip I think I got that I actually think I got that clip on Top Shots I, Top Shots oh. I bought that moment oh thank you for reminding me Mark, yeah yes. I was gonna yeah yeah Mark, okay yes. hey that, you, you um, might you might be you you might be sitting on like a band right there <laughs> Mark Hill Fultz flinch dunk you never know <laughs> Listen, if I can hype it up myself, it's a <clears throat> thing, right? That's yeah, part I, of this, the, the scam the Top Shot is. You know, you can juice up your own moments. Absolutely. It's scam. It's not a scam. It's a hustle. It's all a hustle. I think it's a hustle. <laughs> How long is the hustle going to last? Who knows? But then just last week, I saw a clip. And I don't know. I think it was from this year. Um, Zion went up and blocked somebody's shot. But he blocked it off the backboard. But he's up there. You know, his head's up there. And when he blocked it, he just simply, it just like a just comfort, right? He just moved his head to the side mm-hmm. while he was in the air, calmly. Got out of the way of the ball. That's it. That man is comfortable in the air. That guy owns his airspace. And when he's up there, he can process what's happening in real time. And he's not reacting to things like, like he's being shot at. Um, and I think that's like there's a, a a big difference between people who are comfortable in the air, and people who are just reacting when they're in the air. And they're reacting like they're you know, running from other like they're they're being hunted. You know, anything could happen. Their own dunk could hurt them. <laughs> Ball could come out of the net in any kind of crazy way. Sure, they might have had the momentary confidence to dunk it, but ah, you know, here comes the ball. Zion is like he went up there, he swatted off the glass, and just moved his head slightly to the side in the air, and the ball just moves out of the way. Like it's moving a little, a little slower. He's so used to being up there that he has command over himself, and in those micro moments um, where things get a little out of control, you know, people are down by your legs. The ball's going crazy directions. You're headed towards the rim and the backboard. But it just doesn't phase him because he's so comfortable with it. And I think that's something that's very, I guess, I guess it's rare. Um, And it's amazing that people in the NBA, not everybody in the NBA is comfortable with all the chaotic things that can happen in the air. They're not comfortable with it. It still surprises them. So watching that guy, that young man dunk today and be scared of his own dunk and how close he got to the rim, it was like, oh wow, like 
really is a an ability and a trained thing and a skill something that should be you know applauded to be comfortable in the air so i'm glad you brought that up because i wanted to talk about zion how comfortable he is up there um and i in addition that part that spark about zion's game that i feel like that we're not getting is it might be that recklessness okay that we're not getting that kind of um willingness to go to terrorize his airspace i mean he might be too comfortable in the air he knows what he can do and what he can't do and he's not trying things that he knows he can't that he knows he can't do would be absolutely mind-blowing um even though his range is beyond what most people's are i know this is i don't know if you know i'm making sense of this but his range is beyond what most people's range are are in the air he's not pushing it any further um to the point where what zion can do is once again unbelievable we expect it and we see it and he's staying in that range and it's probably because of his health and they're probably you know they're trying to teach him how to run teach him how to land it's probably in his own head so we're not getting that little extra extra ounce of like you know i don't know rookie job moran trying to dump (laughs) on everybody um which is what we want. We want yeah. people to be reckless when they get in the air. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you had moved on to something else, and I forgot what you were talking about. Yeah, you know, just back to the Zion point. I mean, I'm just before we do move on, the Zion point is, uh, it's, it's interesting because, Yep, yeah, when you look at a guy like Derrick Rose, that's kind of where he was at when he got hurt. It was that reckless phase. So if you look at, you, you talk yes. about that comfort that he had back in like his MVP year when he was hanging forever in the rim <laughs> or, or around the rim before he would dunk. I mean, my brother were watching his highlights. He, he was young when Derrick Rose got hurt, so he didn't really you know, experience that. But he was like, God damn, basically, because Rose was what, 6'1", 6'2", he's a small guy and you know, probably Curry size even. And he was up there completely comfortable, knew he could do what he wanted. He could change and do something else. He had, t- he had that kind of time when he was up there. Um, but eventually his play style culminated in the injury. The rest goes how it goes. So when Zion first got drafted, that's what I was most excited about. I was catching every second of every Zion game that I could because I knew I might see something crazy. And I went from preseason and uh, a little bit that was the only time I've really ever taken an interest in college basketball actually was when he was there at Duke but I'm for it you know I'm for it because he's an all-star now and he one thing we've always worried about was his weight coming into the league we worried about his weight the the size and if we're actually if if it was going to be too good to be true because when you look at when you looked at him coming in you're like this looks a little bit too good to be true he's not that tall but he's still able to play in the paint because he's just that much stronger than everybody. I remember, I think it was a preseason game where I saw him kind of like push Rudy Gobert around, who's who's got a, who's got a decent amount of height on him. He's pushing him around and scoring on him, removing him off his spot. And I believe this is around, he might have been Defensive Player of the Year that year. And so you start to think to yourself, man, this might just be a little too good to be true. And you see injuries in the future and all that good stuff. Anyways, long story short, I am if if we're gonna get some hesitant moments and we're not gonna see him try to do all kinds of crazy twists in the air, because that did kind of happen tonight. It seemed like sometimes when they lobbed him the ball, he wasn't sure if he should just go all the way out and do some just flat out 
freaky shit or if you should just dunk it and then it resulted in him just kind of missing it i kind of think that's what we saw there but it's just a uh it's kind of representation of where he's at right now becoming a smarter player and uh, if that's what it's gonna take you know if we're just gonna watch layup lines when we see pelicans games i mean we will see the occasional the, the flash like you said the block and you are gonna get a, a alley from zion you're still gonna get some dunks but a lot of what you're gonna get is just just bodying people and laying it up and being very efficient and I, i'm a, i'm okay with that with zion honestly um i, I would take that over the the, the crazy what if scenario we've had with Derrick Rose over the last nine or so years. Um, be, so the last couple of things we'll move on here because, like you said, it is definitely late. I have two topics. I have a million topics written down, but I have two that I want to get to before Jeez, we let's end. Get, let's get some topics off the list, man. Yeah, yeah, because the list just keeps getting longer and we don't actually get to the. <laughs> it's always, that's a good thing, though. That's a good thing because we're able to get like. like We'll eventually circle around to Dominique Wilkins and his questionable judgment one day on this podcast. Um, <laughs> but can I talk about Dominique for like a minute? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, throw some in. Him and, Do- him and Dr. J are so, such sad cases. Um, I mean, they're great. Okay, there's yeah. obviously, gosh, I don't even can we get beyond just like checking boxes here? Obviously, I respect him. Obviously, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. yeah, yeah, okay, Dr. J dunked on some guy 50 years ago he's still out here talking about this story where he dunked on this guy and how he oh yeah dunked on him he wouldn't talk to me for the next 20 years he's still telling this story and dominique wilkins has the same story where he dunked on a guy and the guy wouldn't talk to him for like 10 years or something like that these guys are out there championing 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 their own stories being the champion of their own stories they are their own mouthpiece telling their own legends i've heard this story from dr j multiple times about how he dunked on this guy and the guy hasn't talked to him in 20 years you know he's so mad at him because he dunked on him um and i heard him it was on that uh nba uh what is it uh on uh with the tnt guys uh, it's on NBA Inside, uh, oh, you mean where they're all sitting around, kind of? Yeah, yeah. All around. I was trying to remember the name of it. I saw a clip today. I think Legend of Winning posted it. I was trying to remember the name of that show, and I can't remember. Inside, it. yeah. What is it? Uh, around the talk? Yeah, something. It was awesome though. They had Steve, used to have Steve Kerr on there. That one. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah. <laughs> That's also another one we're gonna get to. <laughs> it's just, it's it's almost as if they know. They don't have disciples singing their praises, so they have to spread their own legend. And the worst thing you can do as a professional athlete who has some sort of clout, some sort of actual history, a legacy, some sort of um, your some level of NBA royalty, and you know, in, for you to be the one to spread your own legend is the worst, most desperate thing. And I, you go find yourself a Horace Grant. Go find yourself somebody to go around and spread your stories. Pay them, get them on the payroll, work it like LeBron's trying to work it, where people are out there, you know, on your team spreading your your legend. If Dr. J told the same stories about how he dunked on the guy and in four years he hasn't talked to him, and then Dominique Wilkins telling the same exact type of story, it's just, it's very, it's thin, it's transparent, it's clear what's happening, that they need to get their legend out there, and nobody's taking it. Anyway, that's a different story for a different time. Okay. 
Where were you going with your question? Your new topic, please. Let's go there. Yeah, that's that's hilarious. Yeah, we can we can definitely do a, a whole thing about that um, at at some point in time. That's funny because I I do have Nobody some. Nobody cares about Dr. <laughs> Nobody cares about it. He had a good documentary I I, about eight years uh, ago. I was, I, he was in it. He did his own documentary. You never want to be the, the... There's a documentary about you. You don't want to be the one doing the most talking. Right, when right. You're, when you're the one doing the most talking in your documentary, maybe you shouldn't have done that documentary. That's <laughs> the thing. Talking, it's, like, it's like if you're doing some sort of true crime documentary on a murderer, and then the murderer himself is the one saying, yeah, you know, and then that's what I was doing this and that. No! It's better if other people are talking about you. I get how it. Tell me how great he was playing on, you know, at the Rucker or something like that. Don't you don't tell me. Get one of the other guys to tell me. It sounds better. It frames it better, and you can be demure. You can be the one who's, you know, coy about it, and like, you know, like, oh yeah, you know, I was pretty good. And then the <laughs> other people go on about it. They're so desperate. The desperation, and I feel, and I understand. It. They don't want to be left behind and forgotten. Um. Okay. Please. Yeah, I mean, yeah. On on some level, I get it. On some level, I get it because I I do think about that. Some points, I'm like, when was I thinking about it? I don't know. Probably during reading some basketball book. As I, I have Pistol Pete right here. I'm re- I always go back throughout Hold history. Yeah, yeah. This is a, this is a good one. After you get past like the first fifty pages, you know, Press Maravich is really interesting. Press Maravich is awesome, but uh, they spent a long time. And Jordan Rules, yeah, that's another one. I read that one as well. It's fire. Um, but I I do kind of have that thought to myself about older players, because there's so much, especially in a Dr. J, J career like you're talking about. There's so much glamour and so much going on in a career like that when you're in the prime of it, and then one day you retire. And that's just it. It's just all gone. Like your life can never be as exciting as it was when you were playing in front of thousands of people and when you were the focal point of a franchise. Now, differences, guys like uh, Dr. J, they played before social media. So their tales don't organically live on, I would say. They have their documentaries where they might have to be the word of mouth for it. Or they have, you know, whatever stories they're constantly telling. Maybe they have to because the guys that we're growing up with, and we're actually going to be talking about it. They'll be living on in moments. Shout out to NBA Top Shot. <laughs> They'll be living on in these virtual moments that people are actually paying for now. Um, and they'll on YouTube and the Instagram. They're circulated from the time moment happens and just keeps on going and going. So they didn't actually have that luxury. So somebody like LeBron is going to be able to, and he's got his team, like you said. Um, that's a whole different thing. But he doesn't have to try nearly as hard because from the, he's playing right now from the time he retires all of his greatest moments are going to be recycled forever and ever and ever past the time that he's gone they're going to keep going and the same did not happen for these other guys that were great at one point and then they left and then social media got bigger and other careers got bigger and they're damn near buried i guess because how many people you're right on twitter who the fuck talks about dr j and i actually find him interesting and that's not that's not dr j slander <laughs> just in case on the long shot and sometime in the next five years that we have dr j on this podcast that's not slander nba twitter just doesn't talk about certain players i saw somebody tweet out um oh nobody people forget what was the tweet said something like people forget what walt frazier did in the 1970 finals it's like yeah nobody knows honestly like unless you've gone back and looked <laughs> 
unless you go back and look unless it's like your job like i had to make videos about some of this stuff and i'm interested i'm just i have a genuine interest in it but yeah if you don't have that you just don't know but yeah no we we could we could definitely do that for for uh for a good amount of time i do want to move on to these last two because <laughs> that that does sound fun i'm tempted to go on forever but um I do have to, I do want to talk about Top Shot and I do want to do a little bit of a tidbit on Blake on the Nets because I feel like you might have some thoughts about Blake Griffin. Um, somewhere in the. Oh, you love, you love Blake Griffin. It sounded like that's where you're going. Um, talking about Blake Griffin. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Talking about. Yeah. Because uh, at some point in the chaos today of us having an All Star Sunday and Ben Simmons and Embiid being sent home right before the game, who even knows if they mingled with other players and that's a whole whatever. Um, yeah. Blake was officially bought out the other day and he signed with the Brooklyn Nets. And so now I see propaganda being spread because obviously whenever the, one of these signings happens, we get the graphics of these four players that's how it's being framed now is kd Kyrie, uh harden and then blake because he blake still looks like he's in his prime physically he doesn't look like you can see all the players out of their prime he doesn't look like he's out of his prime so i kept showing my brother the pictures because again he doesn't know much and i'm like just know this this is propaganda okay the way they have these four players blake is not blake anymore now i'm also not saying from a basketball standpoint i don't think the signing was was bad for the nets i think low risk high reward it's always great when you're in position like the Nets are. This doesn't really cost them anything. It's not like you're necessarily going to get worse on defense. He's not fixing any problems that they have on defense, but they're not, it's not going to detrimentally wound them or anything. He's going to be used as their small ball center off the bench is what they say. They've had some success with small ball. Um, I think a lot of their defensive scheme is going to involve switching anyways. And Blake playing on a team like this just needs to be in certain spots. And he's going to have good looks because he is not who the defense is going to be paying attention to. If you even look at DeAndre Jordan on offense right now, he is able, he's the beneficiary of lobs all the time. He's able to roll and he gets lobs from Kyrie and mostly Harden right now because KD hasn't played in like a half-life. But he's getting, yeah, he's always in the dunker spot. So he's getting lobs. Maybe Blake will be getting in on that now. But I, I tweeted that out a couple of days ago before he signed there. thought it was perfect. I said, if I was Blake Griffin, this is where I would go. The Nets, if I go to the Nets, I have a great chance to win a championship. Yeah, yeah, on uh, whatever day it was that he got bought out. Yeah, I tweeted out the whole thing. I was like, why would I not go there if I'm Blake? I can go and probably, definitely probably get out of the East. I think that's a great, the Nets have a great chance of that. Probably win a championship, which I think his career could probably benefit from at this point, given the way things have gone. Not going to be asked to do much. And then I can look useful again because I'm going to have open looks. Nobody, the fourth quarter, I'm not the guy that they're going to be guarding. He's asked to do very little. And um, I think that he can do something good for the Nets. Uh, but those are those are my thoughts on it. Uh, you said you enjoy talking about Blake Griffin. And if you have any thoughts on him on the Nets as well, that'd be cool. But yeah, what do you think? Um, Blake Griffin is, he's like a relic. He's somebody, he, he's like, he is the old, the old trick, not trick, like trick, like card trick, <laughs> like tree trick, but card trick, <laughs> where he's like, um, when a rookie would come into the NBA and if they could dunk really good, it was, a, he would, they were a sensation. They were the biggest thing in the world, right? So all you had to do in your first few years is be able to dunk really good, finish around the rim, and you would be a star. Um, games developed. You can't just be 
can't just dunk and be a superstar. But he kind of filled that weird role. I mean, where he can come into the league and just dunk really good or just be really aggressive around the rim um, and not necessarily be a playmaker, not necessarily be somebody who is making all your teammates better, but just be a good finisher and still be a superstar. So I've just been fascinated by his career because then he started starting to shoot with his little weird set shot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I still don't know how efficient he is. Did he ever develop that? Is he good at Yeah. When, well, first of all, he's only played like 30-something games in the last few years or whatever. He But he has not dunked since 2019, I believe. And yet, as as the Pistons days were developing, his three-point shot got... That was what that was what Bleak was doing, really. He's shooting threes. And it was crazy because he went from you know stuffing people's head in his crotches he was dunking to not prolific three-point shooter. But yeah, Bleak actually became like a three-point shooter. That was his thing. So... So, for him to be able to... I mean, he knows what he has to do. Mind you, if you watch the All-Star Game, doesn't he have a new show coming out? Yeah, he did. I saw that. <laughs> I got that. I didn't see exactly what it's about, but I did see I did see the little, I felt a little banner. Weird. Yeah. A little, I don't know. I, I don't know how advanced the people are on these PR teams or these management, management teams, but for somebody like Blake Griffin to have a long-term plan of like sucking basketball or not just disappearing then all of a sudden showing up on a new team and being able to stuff somebody's face into their crotch while he dunks on them again the timing it would work out and I wouldn't put it past Blake Griffin to do something like that he's just too savvy he's he's always been on the outskirts of the game he's always been willing he's always been willing to, to he's always been disinterested in playing the the fake parts of the game. You remember when people used to call him soft? Yeah. People used to try to bully him. Yeah, absolutely. He wouldn't, wouldn't fight back. Um, and it was interesting to me because I was always like, he understands it's all fake. The, the the aggression and the fighting, it's all fake. And he never really was interested in participating in that. And there was one year where he started to kind of push back a little bit because he knew the character of Blake Griffin should stand up for himself at some point. And it always just felt artificial. Like, he was too aware of the performance aspect of it. So it's like, if this all came around, and then he, you know... And I've, I saw it on Twitter, too, where he was like, watch, this guy's gonna start dunking on people again in in, in, uh, in Brooklyn. It's all part of his plan. <laughs> I mean, that's not, that's not that cynical. It really isn't. He is very aware of the performance of the NBA um, versus, you know, actual competition. Like, he gets it like Alonzo Ball. He understands that people aren't really trying to fight right now on this court mm-hmm. versus, you know, just play your game, do your thing. But you got to perform it sometimes. Um, I, he's a, such a smart guy. It just, it just struck me when that commercial hit that he has a new show coming out. <laughs> I felt so odd to me. I don't know how to calculate that. It's really throwing me off that he has a show coming out. It's like a prank show. Yeah, it's like exposing real-life prankers or something like that, yeah. Like, maybe he just pranked the Pistons for, like, three years. (laughs) It just felt too on the nose, you know? 
I don't know. It, it's it's really weird. It's like if you know Chris Paul was playing and then like some car crashed onto the court, you know, in the middle of the game, and he was just like, well, you know, good thing I have State Farm. Like, <laughs> wait a second, this is all a setup. Oh so my I, I, God. There's people that are too aware of. I mean, everybody's aware, but he, I know he's aware of the layers of the game. So him just dogging it and half-assing it in Detroit. Like, I really have never watched Detroit play a basketball game in the past two and a half years. I haven't watched a single game. Most people have. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what their record is. I don't. I have no clue who plays for them. Yeah. That's about the that's about the story of the Pistons since they traded Chauncey Billups. That's pretty much the... You can, like, fit that in any year since they traded Chauncey. It, it applies. Yeah, I mean... Is Andre Drummond still on the Pistons? Drummond is no, he's been gone. He's on the Cavaliers. Straight to the Cavaliers some eons ago. And yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I um I'm glad because he's he's one of those players that is acutely aware of everything that's going on and the performance versus actually what the what the NBA is. So if he goes to the Nets and actually and becomes productive, um I support that. Like I, I'm more power to that guy. I, I like Blake Griffin. Like I like I like the Glurfinator. I like him. He's good. He's a good guy. But he's just uh I feel like it's just I just can't trust him. I can't trust anything that's happening around him on face value. Um I mean what is he getting he's he like waves he's like taking less money, right? Like he Yeah, he got bought out and I think he re- I think he bought out and uh I think the terms were he relinquished like 13 million off of his Pistons contract because that was the big deal. His contract with the Pistons was very expensive. Blake has been very hurt, which is really what's been going on in Detroit because he actually was having a good. Yeah, he was an All Star, I think. Uh, that it was the first time he was having a redemption in Detroit in probably his first year there. But the injuries have just piled on over the years, and it was looking crazy because he had a team option, not bad player option on his contract where he could have been a very useless player on a very expensive contract and so detroit no no no, we can't do this yeah we can't we got to find out something mutual they agreed that you're not going to play here anymore we're going to find something for you you can't trade that contract though absolutely could not trade it so he was bought out and now he's damaged goods he damaged goods apparently that's the (laughs) what what you're saying because blake has been a good actor blake has been a great actor throughout uh, i think he's one of the I think he's one of the few NBA players that could actually have like a legitimate acting career. But no, he he has been injured. Um, I don't think this has been some elaborate plan where he's going to go on the Nets and they have a big four now. Uh, but he he might start dunking again. That might be a thing. That <laughs> if they start winning, people will frame it that way. They yeah, the optics. They win it two in a row or something like that, or they're going to frame it that way. Yeah, absolutely. It's like when people start talking about how the the Warriors had four All Stars, you know, because they're including Andre Iguodala in there. I'm like, <laughs> All Star like a decade ago. <laughs> and that's always interesting. That's always interesting. That we that's a topic we could definitely jot down for one day but it's not even really a topic it's just the language that people use because it goes with the narrative right like it always bothered me back when i cared about internet arguments and when i cared about getting into them when somebody had to prove something they would go x team had x amount of hall of famers and i'm like okay first of all there's hall there's tiers there's levels to this there's hall of famers and there's hall of famers so anybody who really 
watches this stuff understands that. So just saying like, oh, that team had five Hall of Famers. Okay, what kind of Hall of Famers did they have? Did they have the LeBron Hall of Famers? Did they have the Tier 1 Hall of Famers that were leading teams before they were together? Or did they have a Tier 1 Hall of Famer, then a guy that got in because he was a part of that team? Just saying that there were ex-Hall of Famers on here doesn't help. And so that's what it'll become later with Brooklyn, right? Because say Blake Griffin got a ring or two and he stayed with the... I don't... You know, Blake, I don't think his chances on the Hall of Fame are high. I don't know if he had made enough All-Star teams. I don't know if he was healthy long enough for that to happen. Blake? Yeah, I'm not a, yeah. Because even, I look back, I didn't realize Chauncey Billups was not in the Hall of Fame. I did not realize that until I did the video the other day. I really thought that he was in there. He's not. He's a Finals MVP, a championship, some All-Stars. Uh, but he's not in the Hall of Fame. Interesting. But say just some. One of those, like, deep dives on, like. No, not at all. No, it was just uh, it was just a ranking of like finals MVPs and championships. So it wasn't a deep dive, okay. but I did pick up a couple of things. Uh, but no, if for some if for some fucking reason Blake ended up being a Hall of Famer at the end of his career, now all of a sudden the narrative will come back and be, oh, the Nets had four Hall of Famers on their team when they played the Lakers. How are they supposed to win? Blake is not a tier one Hall of Famer on the Nets. Unless I am just really, really loud and really, really wrong right now, he's not going to be a tier one Hall of Famer for this Nets team. Um, but yeah, that's my little that's my little rant about the language of how we do these things because that absolutely happens, and it's it's a tool. It's a tool in basketball debates to pump it up how much you need it or take as much as you need away. You can just label label guys all NBA, whatever they were. You can just say it without any context, and that's how that's pretty much how that goes. Um, but yeah, so that goes back to where we started this conversation with the pictures that they're using to advertise this team because it looks beastly like they're they're great photoshopped with it looks like blake has already played for a year in brooklyn the, the photoshop jerseys all them and whatnot like it you can't even tell it's like he's been there and it looks beastly and they look like the monsters because in our head like you said earlier with the with the whatever con uh, whatever conversation we were having earlier when you oh the buzzwords that's right the, the logo we were talking about the logo when yeah, like something brilliant just yeah, happened from the logo. so when you see these pictures of these guys it looks like something brilliant just happened. And maybe it did, but Blake might be brilliant as a role player. It's not brilliant in the way that these pictures show. But we'll see how this happens going forward. Um, but I, yeah, I absolutely think this is... I think it's a good thing for both sides. And Blake Griffin has had a very interesting career. Um, I, I would definitely watch a movie that Blake Griffin potentially started in. I think he's one of the only players that could, that could pull that off legitimately. Because other basketball players, I feel like we watch their movies and it's just because... Oh, that said basketball players in it. We don't ever expect it to be good. I don't expect Space Jam 2 to be good. KG? KD. KD. Ah, oh, fuck. Thunderstruck. Oh, my God. That is the... I watched it. Did you watch it? Have you seen it? Yes, I, I had it on Blu-ray. I Don't ask me how I got it on Blu-ray. I don't know why I own this. I, I, I do own it. I own it. And I don't, this thing just popped up. I was thinking about it earlier, how in life, you know, certain things just pop up, like certain knowledge, right? Like the thought I was having in my head, I was like, I don't know when I learned that who Tupac was or when he died, but just one day in my life, I just knew Tupac was a legend that just isn't alive anymore. I don't know who told it to me. And th so it's, it's the same concept with the Thunderstruck. I don't know when it popped up in my life. I don't know when I got it, but it's just here. And I watched it a couple of times. It's the worst fucking movie ever. KT is, he put no effort in it. That's a movie that, that's exactly what I'm talking about right here. I watched that movie just because KD was on the cover. And just because, and he put no effort. He didn't have to put any effort into it. That's, they knew what audience they were, they were drawing in with that movie. Movie fucking sucks. 
I don't even remember what point I was making with all of this, so I'm going to move on to Top Shot now. I seriously don't remember where that spawned from. Um, this is going to be our last topic, because I, I have to do this. Lord knows I am exhausted right now, but I have to get to Top Shot, because a lot of the audience doesn't understand it. Um, I still don't understand portions of it. I'm supposed to be on a Top Shot stream sometime this week, one of those really big streams that they're doing. So I'm going to mince my words here. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to choose them carefully. <laughs> Great. Are you like with, with Top Shot actual? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I know I know a guy. I know a guy that ended up there. So it's it's a cool thing. And I'm I'm doing business with uh, the, the moments. So, how cool you, how can you well i look i don't think there's anything that i can first of all i don't have any like material information or anything about it i can just say what i don't understand and what i do understand and because the, a lot of the audience me and you get it but a lot of the audience still doesn't really know what this is they haven't dabbled into it um the best way i can describe it is free money almost at the moment and who knows how long it's going to last um so where do we start start with top shot do, do you have a place that you will start with Top Shot? Because this is... I don't know if you're as perplexed. I don't know if you're as perplexed as I am, so... Okay, so the place I would start with Top Shot is when I was a kid. <laughs> I used to go to the card, the the trading card place, and buy packs of cards. And I spent all the little bits of money I, I would have or my parents would give me. I would buy basketball cards. And I get it. I get the idea. I get it. It takes a couple leaps of faith, but to have a collection of something that is curated by you and your interest or whatever by chance you were able to get and the ability for an op- just the opportunity to get something great out of something that, you know, a pack that you don't know, the mystery of it, it's just it is pulling it's pinging off of all of those same emotions anybody who's ever collected cards and then there's the other side of it which is just puzzle I wouldn't call, I would call it a I call it a scam but I, I respectfully call it a scam there's something I'd introduce to you later it's called the scam scale that I would I would love to dive into this is pure scam um because when you go on that website and you're trying to buy or sell moments you realize it's just the current hustle and it's just a matter of getting the right thing and trying to sell it and trying to manipulate the prices of things and what they're giving us are moments. And to some of us, like me, that might be enough. Just to attach a moment, a thing, and allow an individual to feel like they have some sort of individual ownership over something um, that's related to their passion. In this case, basketball. That's all basketball cards, baseball cards have ever been. It's just to have some sort of fake attachment and ownership over something that you could never have in real life. You weren't there. You have nothing to do with it. But somehow you own this moment, right? So I get it. I get it. But the way it's proliferating and the way you look at those markets and the way it's they, they're selling it, um, 
it's just it's it's moving money it's 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 money movement it's another way to manipulate money um and it's just surrounded by an actual moment in basketball uh which is like i said it just kind of clicks off a little uh neural um signal of a passion that you love a thing a part of you that you identify with i went on there and i I bought a Markel Markel Fultz dunk moment, you know, for $30. And I'm on there trying to find the lowest price at at the lowest serial number or whatever it is. And then you realize, because I went on and I was looking at, and I was looking at it and I was like, okay, the the lower you go, I might be too into the woods at this point, but um, if you have a low serial number, there may be a moment that has that's been sold a thousand or ten thousand times, you know. Markel Fultz dunk. Ten thousand people own that moment. If you get a serial number that's low, it's worth more money. And then you find one that's kinda low and it's cheaper than others. You're like, oh, this is a great deal. But then you realize one individual owns all of those moments. And that they've figured out how to price point the lowest one and triangulate a price point that is intriguing enough for me to think I'm getting a deal. And it's just a hustle. But I'm fine with it because I'm getting to own something that's related to the passion that I have. It's passion exploitation. That's what it is. And I don't think I explained anything. It's... (laughs) it's, it's participat- participatorial exploitation. We all, I know I'm getting taken advantage of, but I'm fine with it. Because on my page, you get to see the three or four moments that I think were interesting. And the way I'm using it is that I'm trying to find moments that I can tell stories about. And the nefarious part of that is that I think if I can tell a compelling story, it will generate enough interest in the moments that I have so I can sell them for more money. So it's all a scam. So that's the scam, is that I could that you can have that moment and basically get it to the point where you're happy with the profit. And then, yeah, and then get it off. Okay. I think by the strength of storytelling, I can make a matter moment. And I think, I don't know if I have to reach yet, Maybe you know, as we talk, you know, and you're, you're, and you're obviously about to do something with them, right? <laughs> yeah. You know? So yeah, um, I think you should go on there and really do some awesome <laughs> moments because they're rare. Right, right, That's right. Rare. Yeah. So I mean, it's trading cards, but it's it's built in. It's it's tied to every modern. Um, Uh, system that's able to be manipulated by people with a lot of money. Oh, is it? Is it? Is that a long-lasting thing? Will it last? I, I don't have a lot of faith that it's going to be some sort of staple in the in in the basketball community forever. I think it'll be co-opted by people who know how to manipulate markets. Just like everything else, um, it's just too available. It's too accessible to everybody who doesn't even who don't even care about basketball. 
Yeah. I don't even care about these moments. To just to just block out a moment, like every single one of them, figure out what the perfect price point is, um, to resell their moments and, and lure people in to feel like they're getting a good deal on something that they can feel like they touch and they are actually part of the NBA. Um, but at the same time, like I'm saying, I feel like when I bought my, I bought a, I bought a Taco Falls moment block, I bought a Markel Fultz dunk. These to me, they may not be categorized as elite moments, but I feel like these are rare moments. Um, and they're worth, there's a story behind them that I feel I can connect to. Um, I think if they're really trying to sell moments and connect with people, they would branch out beyond just the actual plays. It would be little things. Somebody said on, on Twitter, it was like, there was like a moment where Steph Curry and LeBron James were like, you know, it was like a little high five in the game. That should be a moment. I'm fine with it. I like that, you know? Like, things off the court. Like, if we're really going to have moments and want to connect with things that matter to us, um, it's just as valid as basketball cards or any sort of trading cards. It mm. really is just as valid as any sort of trading card. And, you know, I'm, I'm sitting right over here next to a... I can't reach it right now, but... Um, cards from when I was a kid. I still cherish those moments. I look at them and they still bring that same feeling back. And I can obviously just the same way as I can look at all these moments online, I can look up all these cards online. Are these worth something? I don't know. Because I've had them for a while, I guess. Um, I kind of get that. I get that intangible aspect of it where it's just like, it's my connection to this thing. You know, it's like buying somebody's jersey. Sure, you could wear it. But it's like when I'm clicking around and I'm looking at Andre Iguodala's collection of Top Shop moments... Like, oh, well, these are what's interesting to him. Like, for some reason or another, this is why he has these. And, you know, I'll look at Dom's, and I'm like, he has these. I wonder why he has these. And hopefully there could be a, a, a faction where it's it's part of their individual storytelling. Like, these are the moments that they connected with. But I don't know, because sometimes, you know, it's hard to actually get the moments that you connect with. Sometimes the moments you connect with are going to be too damn expensive or too <laughs> rare. Yeah. Um... And too inaccessible, so they got a they got a lot to learn and figure out. And if they if they if they jump the shark on accessibility, just become this way to manipulate money based on a new thing. You know, it might as well be some sort of cryptocurrency. It's just a, it's just a new type of currency. It's just as fake as all the other currencies that we have. Um, but at least in this moment, you get to have some sort of individuality about what your currency is right now i'm looking for markel fultz moments <laughs> taco fall moments when they bring out the 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 um the nostalgia moments i'm looking for anything with minute ball <laughs> some sort of some sort of archival yeah. moment the nostalgia moments but are going to go crazy yeah on a base level i get it <clears throat> it's just valid as any other trading card is just a simple piece of paper. You're like it's just a piece of paper with a picture on. It. You know, that's everything. Well, that's, that's money. It's just a piece of paper with a picture on. It. Why does it have value? Because we, we we project value onto it. We all agree that it has value. So, um, but I do see it as a long, as basically a big old fat team. <laughs> oh, this is why we bring you, you on because <laughs> marketing guy, 
six months ago asked me if I wanted to be a Top Shot ambassador, and I never responded to that email. Shout out to him. I too got an email from Top Shot. I didn't. I don't know if they asked me to be an ambassador, but I think the reason I didn't respond back then it was just like an advertising deal, and it wasn't anywhere near in the range it needed to be to be in a video. Anyways, that's besides the point. You were, a big, you were always you were a big shot back. Then. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm glad I have your perspective on here because I will say just in that little spiel there I get it a little bit more than I did before I get on because you're one of the only people so far that have been able to actually justify Wanting their moments because a lot of people th that's been my question with this whole thing so far is like Is it just currency or is there actually a reason for somebody to have that my collection tab? And actually have a collection of moments. So you, you shined a little bit of light on that, even though I know you clearly see the, the business part of it as well. Just to, I guess, make this a bit clearer for the audience. I'll, I'll explain. Top shot, like you said, basketball cards are virtual. That's literally it. So if your basketball card had LeBron dunking on Kevin Garnett, now your moment, that was a picture on your card. Now your moment on Top Shot actually has the video of LeBron dunking on Kevin Garnett. These are going for crazy prices because if you watch Jimmy Highroller has a really good video on it. He explained it pretty much everything that I've that I've pondered about with it. Um, Jimmy, the second, the second best voice in NBA YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Only second to down. <laughs> um, the cards are being sold. And sold again and sold again and because uh, first of all the part that I that hadn't been mentioned here is the moments are created on the blockchain as I understand so they can't be like they're they're protected can't just go like fabricate a moment or whatever create on a blockchain have their own serial number and they um, the NBA releases just like cards a certain amount of them so certain cards might have printed only 75 of these moments or i'll just call it moments they may have only printed 75 of these moments here and then for another moment there might be like 10,000 of them and so of course you can deduce there the one that has like 75 is going to be expensive just like basketball cards when it has 10,000 not so much but still they're going crazy um so what's happening here is on this site the only way to actually get in right now because everyone's undercutting, like you said. They're getting a card, and they're saying, okay, what's the lowest ask? And the quickest way to get a card off on Top Shot right now is just undercut the lowest price. So somebody's selling a card for $330, you can just go set your price at $320 and get rid of it in a couple of minutes. It'll be gone. Now, getting those cards is the tricky part, and actually getting a profit. Because, obviously, if you buy a card at its lowest ask for $320, you are probably not going to make anything unless you hold on to it for a long time and the value raises because the player got traded. If the value raises for whatever reason, right? Then you might make some money off of it, but the quickest way is just undercut. Now, how are you going to get the cards? You have to get packs. How are you going to get packs? Well, they're going to drop packs, and they're going to tell you when they're dropping packs. And, like, today's drop, they did a rookie set so i think it had like one rookie card and then like six other cards in it that pack drops and it's only they're only selling thirty thousand of them in line to get those packs there are two hundred thousand people probably like that number is growing like every time i get on and so what ends up happening is you get in the line about 15 minutes before the drop starts and you get a random number 
So it doesn't matter if you came in, well, to my knowledge anyways, it doesn't matter if you came in at 4.45 or 4.50. When the clock hits 5, it's going to assign you a random number, and you're either jumping for joy or you're shit out of luck. My brother, me and my brother got on today. He, uh, added, they, the pack was selling, they were selling 30,000 of them. His line number was 7,000. Mine was fucking 126,000. I didn't get a pack. He did. I was <laughs> Say what? Thousand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was a shame. Anyways, so if you do get a pack, because a couple of days ago I did get a pack, if you do get a pack, you're gonna open it, you're gonna get those moments, they're gonna open the marketplace up back whenever, and you can decide what you want to do with the cards that you get. So you can maybe make a play and say it's literally just like the NBA, it's NBA stock market, basically is how I look at it. Because you can say, okay, I'm going to hold on to this. I think this is going to raise. I think something's going to happen. This card is going to raise. I'm going to hold on to it. Or if you bought that pack for $14 and you happen to come across a player whose card is selling for like a minimum of two or 300 you can go make the quickest money of your life. That's why so many people are in on this right now. That's why everyone's flocking to this. Because if you can get that, it's like... It's like a lottery ticket at the moment. It's like small lottery tickets, basically. And it's a little bit easier to win than a lottery, I would say, statistically. I don't know. I have to look that one up. So there's a lot of money being thrown around in this right now. And like Storyteller said, I don't know where like the ceiling is or where the floor is, how long this is going to be around. But I do know, and a lot of people know, you can make money with this at the moment. Now, that's where it starts to get like, I was searching... I don't know, just my brain just needed a, a valid explanation, I guess, because when I first got into this, I, I don't understand how it started because, again, they approached me and I looked at the email and I was like, oh, videos and cards or moments. But my problem is I can see the same exact moment on YouTube. And again, just so I can clear this up, I'm not because I'm making money with this. So people, if people want to buy it, they want to buy it. But I was just looking for my own explanation. I'm trying to figure out, like he, like Storyteller was explaining, how in a collector's mind this equates to owning cards. Because what do I, I mean, I, I have some, I have basketball cards up there somewhere. Like I, up there with my 2K collection, I have like the Kobe Bryant stuff from NBA 2K17. That Kobe card is something physical that I can hold that I can't necessarily just go get from anywhere. I just, I, I can't feel like I can own it unless I have that card. You know what I mean? Now, these moments, however, if it's a LeBron James dunk or say whenever they release a nostalgia packs and it's Derrick Rose's game winner uh, against the Cavaliers. I've seen that so many times on YouTube and I feel like if I really wanted it, wanted it on every device in my house and I wanted it to look exactly like the moment I could, I could go do that in Premiere Pro. Then the counter argument is, oh, well. You can say the same thing about a false card in real life. People, if let's give somebody the credit to say that they can go make a card that's like 99% the same as the real card, right? That's kind of like the parallel they make there. And they say it's like the same. But for me, I just can't accept that explanation because the same LeBron dunk that went for 200,000. I don't know if you knew that one. This LeBron dunk, I believe that sold for 200,000 on Bielitsa uh, cut like a week ago, a week and a half ago. That same dunk, I've seen that video i've seen it on my phone i've seen it on my computer so many times before it was packed up into this nice moment and sold for that much so i've never been able to not my i guess the for some reason my brain is just on this search for the answer of does anybody actually want these 
or is it that people see oh well if i can buy a 14 dollar pack i can instantly almost instantly flip that to like 500 plus i had a fan email me and say in 48 hours he ran an account up to a thousand dollars because he got a pack and i found out myself oh wait yeah no that's actually very possible if you can get one of these it's very possible and so i have a hard time like me being the biggest basketball fan that i am at this specific moment we'll see where the future of this goes and i think you had a really good idea where you're saying if they can make like actual moments with like curry and lebron and uh have like stories behind it or something like your own little memorial right for a, a i don't know if memorial is the right yeah. word but your own little tribute to like a cool moment and like a backstory i could see that then i could absolutely see like oh i actually want a collection of these but as far as a, a, a collection where I look through, I go and click through and there's a Fred Van Vliet spinning layup that happened on December 12th and it was at the 37th minute in the game. Yeah, cool. But the value of it to me is I just know somebody's buying it. And I don't know if I'm ever going to just want a collection that I can show the NBA storyteller and say, hey, look at my collections. I think everyone sees dollar signs and I'm OK with that. Hey, like I said, I, at the end of the week, at some point, I'll be on the stream learning more about it. But I, I'm looking at it from a business perspective right now. I, that's that's where I'm at with it, and uh, I don't I I don't know where it's going. I don't know how long it's going, and I don't know. Uh, like Jimmy Highroller brought up a good point in his video. He was saying somebody's going to eventually get stuck without somebody to to sell the card to because these prices they don't have any rhyme or reason to them besides the serial number. If somebody gets the number one serial number of a card, then yeah, they can price it. You know, like like if you had like the first print of a real basketball card, those prices are crazy. But for the rest of these, there's they just vary, and then there's finally a floor. But eventually, somebody's gonna be stuck without a place to actually put this super expensive card that they bought, and then it's a digital video in their collection. And that's that's the point right there. Is that the thing that that cards carried, which was even if there's nobody to buy it. Or there's no external value to it. Is the owner still perish it for some reason or another? If they can somehow still still satisfy that urge, that human urge to be like this moment that you have, you still like it, you still care about it, even though nobody wants to buy it, then they've got something. But like you're saying, if, if we're all jaded to the point where we all get that it's about money and just it's a market and it might as well be the latest you know it, it just it just might as well it just it's just the, the latest way to manipulate money um and there's nothing there right yeah that's and that's the again right now they're in beta a lot of people don't know that the top shot is in beta so there's probably many more ways to go with this the nba does officially i guess own this or whatever they own it or they back it up whatever they're they're the ones behind this this is just some like random thing you saw at the beginning of a video that somebody's pumping out no this is like a legitimate thing so there are ways that they can go to eventually i guess reach the question that i'm asking is why would i want this officially other than the fact that i can get i get it off to somebody um because yeah that's that's just the thing is if you told me that that Kobe card that I have has 75, there's only 75 of those in the world. Yeah, I, I want that. You tell me that there's 75. Uh, yeah, see, there we go. It's what you it's what you perceive. It's like the mind believes what the eye sees. Because I can see this card and you can show me the other 75 and I can say this is what exists in the world. Now, when you tell me that there are 75 prints of this legendary 
uh, moment because they have they they do have them in tears. And you can say, oh, this LeBron James dunk on Kevin Garnett is legendary, and the NBA only printed seventy five of them. But then I can also go on YouTube and see that highlight anytime that I want without paying ten thousand dollars for it. I guess it, that's the that's where the disconnect is. It doesn't match up in my mind that there is only seventy five prints because I've been watching that. And I've had it on my, I had it on my PSP when I was a kid. I had it on my PlayStation 3. I've had this already, I feel like, you know. So that, that's, again, everything is only as real as we make it, I guess. But uh, I think you, like you said, with the, the tribute moments, I think there's a way that they can go with it. And eventually, maybe it's not just about tossing around money and finding the next person to sell to. Um, but if there's a market for it, there's a market for it. We'll see where it goes. I do see routinely the prices of cards going down. Um... Well, as they're doing drops, really? because well, it's not it's not like an overall thing. Like, oh, this whole thing is losing its value. Not in that way, you know. Not not in the sense that they're like the, all the cards are losing the value or anything like that. Like the they, there's astronomical prices on there. Just that like there might be a, a Rudy Gobert moment, and then of course it's just it's just natural in a market, right? Like a pack drops, and more people have that Rudy Gobert moment, and the more people that get it, they're trying to get it off immediately. So the price goes down because somebody's just undercutting the lowest price to sell it, and that's how it's happening. But I just see it happening very frequently with uh you know pretty much pretty, you know every car that i got come across uh but it's again if you get your hand on like a legendary moment some of these legendary moments the lowest ask will be like a thousand dollars on there so imagine you got a legendary moment in a pack that made i guess at most you paid 199 for and then you got that legendary moment for 199 and you go undercut somebody's 1200 price for 1100 and you like that that's that's the appeal that's the appeal of this right now uh but we'll see what happens with top shot i i'm fascinated by it uh i yeah for the audience i will be on stream to learning more about it and learning more about future plans i guess and uh yeah i wanted to have that conversation because i did learn a little bit from storyteller here and uh i wanted the audience because every time i post about it the audience is like yo what is this and i haven't looked at it and why would why would anybody do this uh but yeah right now it's like Mr. Krabs, dollar signs. People see dollar signs at the moment. So that's top shot yeah. for us. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what's going on at the moment. You, you had something? Are you done? Have you seen where one person will own the same moment, like 30 of the same moment? I hadn't specifically I, I been looking at the sales list and seen that, no, but I, I do. It's possible, obviously. One of the first things I spotted was that there would be a block of serial numbers where they'd all be a certain price and then one would be a lot lower. Just thinking all, you know, they'd all be like, you know, 100, 200, 300 dollars and then one would be $75 just right in the middle of these numbers. Mm. I'm thinking, well, that's odd. And then you'd find out that one person owns all of those moments. They're, it's basically baiting you into buying that one that seems to be a lot cheaper than the other ones. And that, that's when I was, I was the first exposure into the, into the hustle of it, which was, okay, you're, you're, forcing me you're, you're you're manipulating me into thinking that this is a good price right here um between serial number 100 and you know 130 when everything's a thousand dollars but this one is you know two hundred dollars right in the middle of it but that one person owns all of them it's just price manipulation and i'm thinking okay that's there it is mm-hmm. that's the obvious part of it is if you can dominate if you can own a lot of the same moment you could basically can control the price of it by you know placing the, the price really high except for one of them where everybody thinks it's a good deal at that particular serial number it just felt uh, that was it's like the, that was the first layer pulled back for me where it's like 
you could see this as just money market manipulation or a real place for collectors and i mean if there's a place for finding obscure moments or players who aren't doing really you know who don't have great audiences and and building stories you know you build stories from your moments you know maybe there's value in selling stories you know which is a collection of moments of an individual i don't know if that's a thing or not but you know i'm gonna be out there buying markel fultz moments <laughs> until i build a markel fultz story a career story I sell the whole damn story yeah yeah and that's the thing right now if you're if you're uh you could be looking for Markel Fulton uh, Manute Bowl moments, and that could be your entry into this. Or uh, if you don't get lucky and get some packs, as he's talking about with somebody controlling one moment, obviously that comes from somebody who has money like that. Because if you yes. do, yeah, if you have money, then you can go in and buy this one for a couple thousand, da, 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 and then you can really make some money then because now you have all the expensive ones and you can control the price. But, you know, how many of us really have it like that, right? Uh, I think a lot of us are trying to find trying to get the uh crumbs of packs basically and you know enter there but uh yeah i've seen some i've seen some ridiculous account values from people who have access and you know because they have access they have the packs and they get cars and yeah it's you they can run it up real quick so yeah there's business you got to assume that at this point that there's there's too many smart people and there's too many smart people that have, uh, who their only business is money, whether they're working in hedge funds or, or they're day traders or whatever it is. It's like their business is money making money. And this is just another opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to know what the, you know, there's probably out of the, you know, uh, I don't know, 60, 70,000 people who are actively involved, maybe a million people who are actively involved looking or interested in this. How many of them, there's probably five, ten huge, you know, uh, financially backed individuals that are just whales in this situation, just cornering the market on things. And it could, you know, who knows? There may be three people who own 90% of these things. Yeah. You know, of yeah. I don't know. We don't know how juiced it is or how manipulated it is. Absolutely. Um, it, could be, it could be really ugly. And we want it to be pure. We want it to be fans, people who actually care about this stuff. But it's probably not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah at the at the moment, I, I would probably guarantee that it isn't. But yeah, you know, they've they've got a ways to go. And if they find a way to make that average fan care about it, we'll you know we'll see where it goes from there. Because then it becomes a thing that's around for a while. If that there's actual fan that gets into this like basketball trading cards, then obviously basketball cards have been around for however long, and so. Everything, a lot of things are going digital. If Topshop finds a way to capitalize on that, sure. Um, but at the moment, yeah, there is a lot of disinterested parties that, like you said, it's an investment. It's a portfolio right now. It made Topshop portfolio. portfolio. <laughs> yeah, it made Topshop portfolio. I, I, I mean, we, keep, we can go. This, this has been, it always goes long, right? Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. The thing is, it's with basketball cards, there was a, there was a step between price or the money or the resale value it was it was never just right in your face immediately attached and with the price and the ability to sell it right away being so accessible that just becomes the only purpose yeah right away and if they can't if they can't separate those things if they can't <laughs> just imagining <laughs> the justice league movies pulling those mother boxes apart if they can't separate those things with the the individual value of 
of owning a moment versus making money, then you know it's nothing. You yeah, know, might as well. Be. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because like I said earlier, the prices don't have a rhyme or reason to it. So for it to be more accessible, I think that's two things. Not only just making people actually want these things with moments and things that actually back those moments, like a curry high five and something that you feel like you actually own that isn't just anywhere else. Aside from that, um, like the prices do need to come down because like a Patrick Beverly three point shot, a Patrick Beverly three point shot will easily run you. Last time I checked, you can go 150 to $180. Just, he passed it to somebody, they passed it back, he shot a three. Now, I guarantee you a Patrick Beverly card in real life is not running me $180. It's just not, unless it has something like piece of his jersey, it's just not a way. So, that also. But, hey, it, for some of these, they're they're coming down to earth. Like, I, I'll see, like, a... Uh, uh, who was a Clint Capella? Yeah, you can get a Clint Capella for like twelve dollars. A common Clint Capella. So I'm seeing that more often. But when I first got on, it was like holy shit. Like, that's when I really realized something crazy was going on. Was when I saw the Patrick Beverly three, Mister ninety four feet shooting three pointer, which I guess is rare. I guess it's a rare moment. I mean, Pat Bev, he's he's it's not super rare that he shoots threes, but that's not really his thing. And yeah, when I saw that, I was like, that's crazy. Well. Either way, conversation on Top Shot has been great. I'm sure we'll we'll probably end up with more conversations on it in the future. Of course, we ran long today. Jesus, we are at two hours, and I was exhausted when we came on, but it, we could have went even longer. I still have an entire page of topics here. I'll cross a couple off, and then we'll drag uh, a lot of these to next week. <laughs> so, like a lightning round, just a quick way to blaze through some topics <laughs> yeah no nah, not with these yeah we would end up at like four hours basically steve got steve ballmer kevin garnett steve kerr like that alone is like another hour oh, and a half probably yeah <laughs> yeah I, you know i'm gonna try i'm gonna read it start reading his book next i'm gonna finish this pete maravich and then i'll get on uh kg's book because that's when i bring that topic up when i'm a good way through that book we'll bring up kevin garnett because i know that's a good one for you well i am gonna put this on spotify and pod apple podcast oh yeah I, I forgot to say it at the beginning for those of you who watch the video version uh we do this over discord call and for some reason at some point our lips come on the audio comes out of sync from our lips it happens sometimes and then i have to try to fix what i can but there's blind spots so if that bothers you a ton the link in the comment section in the description will lead you to the spotify and apple podcast you can just leave this on while you're brushing your teeth or whatever um you do not have to stare at our faces for two hours and the audio that just has a mind of its own but i try to fix what i can i made backups of audio today so hopefully that problem won't be as bad uh but either way i appreciate you for all listening appreciate you being on the podcast again and we will be back next week this week at macy's get great deals on fashion and home essentials update your wardrobe with 20 percent off new spring shoes and sneakers and 20 to 50 percent off fresh looks for him and her Plus, transform your space with Lux Hotel Collection Bedding, now 40% off. And Macy's Star Rewards members can earn on every purchase except gift cards, services, and fees. More at Macy's.com slash Star Rewards. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply.